Broadcasting from everywhere and nowhere, the Misfit Crew at Southfleet HQ is proud to bring you the Dive Living Podcast. Worth, who is the paragon of professionalism, introduced me to Rachel in a text message chain that said, hey, Doug, this is Rachel. She specifically said no dick pics. And I was like, <laughs> why would I send dick pics to this person that is going to like, damn you, Worth? And I was like, I'm very, very confused right now. And Rachel then chimed in with like, yes, please. When Marines are involved, I just assume that dick pics are. And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm not a Marine. So. You know what? I don't know you. Yeah, that's so true. I just give the disclaimer. That's true. And it's so, probably fair to assume oh in the 21st century yeah. that uh, dick pics are the coin of the I realm. I thought you did a wonderful job of Thank disarming you. us all Thank via you. text. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the social media world is so bizarre because you get to know people before you get to know people. Right. That's the problem is because when you're trying to get to know someone over text message or Facebook, my typical charm doesn't really come across. And by charm, I mean <laughs> profound sarcasm. So I typically have to make it extremely clear that I am joking around. It doesn't help that you're a giant, that you're an Amazonian person. <laughs> well, that doesn't come across on Facebook either. No. All so, right, so let me yeah. ask you a serious question. Does that happen because you are naturally that sarcastic or do you feel compelled to do that in a male-dominated environment? I don't feel compelled to do it. I'm very naturally sarcastic, um, but I do find that it kind of helps disarm people in a male-dominated environment. I have been told four separate times that I was the first female that someone had worked with. Like four separate dudes have been like, hey, you're the first woman I've ever worked with. And it went fine. Um, <laughs> Amazing. And I was like, thank you. I know you mean this as a compliment, so I will take it as one. That's it's great. usually a solid indicator that yeah. things are going to get weird. Yeah. No, like they meant it. They, it awkward phrasing aside, they definitely meant it as a compliment. So um, I do find that helpful to kind of disarm people's nervousness around working with me because there is sometimes an attitude for guys who are not used to being around women professionally where they're like, oh my gosh, this this girl is going to sue me at any minute, and I'm like, that's I mean, that's it, kind of a misperception a that's been propagated by people who have been doing some seriously bad stuff it's a to women in the workplace. Right. It's a legitimate um, possibility, though, if men are going to act in the way like it's like, yeah, you know, maybe we should reassess how you're behaving. Well, it de- it depends. So what I've found, and, oh, this is off topic from the well, kind of off topic from the book, but I, it is relevant to my professional experience. <laughs> what I found personally is that there are. Two Two types of dudes, and the majority of dudes just want only to. Only <laughs> This is a very sexist <laughs> conversation. With, with regards, I reject your binary analysis. <laughs> I'm already starting to wonder That's which fair. one. Yeah. <laughs> who no, it's am cool. I? Who am um, I? No, there. With regards to this particular topic, the most most guys fall into two categories, and the vast majority of guys just want to know that you're not going to like report them for accidentally looking the wrong direction. Um, and I didn't even read your shirt last time. I know you, d- right. I'm pretty sure you did. And then just I know pretended what, you did. I know it. what kind of guy I right. am. So there's <laughs> <laughs> boobs. You don't have them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then the second kind of guy, which is, for sure, the vast minority. Um, so this is this person is rare. You don't have quantifiable data to back this statement up. So I just could, say the other type I of guy. I could make you a list of dudes in my life if you would like. <laughs> and we could come up with an estimated percentage. Do they fit onto one or two hands or do you have to take your shoes off to count them? 
in this category, probably on my hands, oh. which is saying something. Yeah, that is. But usually, so this is where this misperception comes from that women are just like super sensitive to anything. And these guys are, they usually know what they're doing. Like you cover a girl's coat with your cologne and then aggressively get in her face and tell her now when you get home, your boyfriend will know you've been with a real man. Like there is not true story. There's not a man in the world who thinks that that is a joke. Like, especially if there's nobody else around when it happens, that's often a very physically intimidating situation as well. Is it weird that my skin is crawling just trying to imagine how this scenario unfolded? So that's what I mean. No, I don't think it's weird at all. I think that's a good sign. I'm I'm literally going. No, that seems, see, you're a cat. Category one. How did this happen? Where did it go? Right. You're in category one. So then what happens is like that person will then tell his buddies a version of that story that is an actual joke. She was rubbing up against me like right. a cat. Like, <laughs> right. like I was wearing cologne and she said I smelled sexy and then I said something vaguely related. Like they'll create a version of it wherein they don't sound nearly as creepy and then it creates this this um, misunderstanding that applies to all women that women in general are too sensitive. I feel like 50% of the people listening to this podcast are going to feel personally indicted. I'm sure that's true. (laughs) I mean, honestly, if you feel personally indicted, you probably need to look at yourself and check out what you've been doing. Or buy more Axe Body Spray. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They're probably already stocking it in bulk, Doug. uh, (laughs) My mind instantly went to patchouli. Your man is going to know that you were hanging out with someone who listened to Nickelback. Right. So my... (laughs) There's a super easy rule of thumb my general rule of thumb is if you would actually say this to your dude buddies then it's probably okay i don't know if that's fair because like, i say some really weird stuff to my dude buddies <laughs> like <laughs> that is true you never know i mean if you but if you know women well enough like that they know you're joking when you say that then generally you have a relationship where you've shown them enough respect already that they know you're joking it's when you like come out the gate pretending you lost your balance so you can grab their breasts again multiple times it, true in the story immortal on words base. of adam sandler like, that's assault brother right <laughs> to stop short right. and grab is, so, is my move that's the thing it's like the line the line is not a mystery where the line is it's just that people who have done things that are clearly wrong try to make it seem blurry I, so I, they can justify their I, actions. I actually was stunned by all that. And I mean, to a certain extent, I, I wrote a thing that these guys that softly were good enough to put out a few years back. The, run, um, the running at night. Yeah, the yeah. running thing. And, um, it, and a lot of it just goes back to like, just talking to my wife. Like the things she has endured in the day-to-day context of everyday life, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times guys are like, "No, come on," because right. most of us are category one guys, oh, and we're just like, right. "You're kidding." Not, no, that that's happen. a that's not, a thing. Is like that's most guys are decent people. Well, I know controversial. No, take, it's right, also but, a different perception of like guy like because because a vampy forty-something-year-old woman isn't going to sexually assault me in my middle school. It's easy to fantasize that that's what I actually want, right? As opposed to being a female, where some creepy, sweaty gym dude is actually going to sexually assault you, right? <laughs> so, like, the reality makes it less sexy in the sense that, like, I think guys are like any random dude running is like, oh shit, chick's going to rape me, right, right on, <laughs> and every chick that's running is like, uh, like legitimately concerned that I mean, it is a my possibility. The other thing you have to recall, too, is like 20% of American women are victims of sexual assault. That's one in five. Is that low? 
60% of American women are victims of physical assault. And so that's four out of five. Like I'm one of them. Right. And so as you pointed out, I am a giant. I am six feet tall. Um, you know, my weight's actually in my book. That was accurate at the time, 160. <laughs> 160 pounds of cake? Uh, two, yeah, 160 <laughs> pounds of cake. Two knee surgeries and a pandemic later, we're now up to like 170. I'll be real. But, um, we're, you know, wait, it's lucky we have a scale here. So yeah. we're going to check whether, check. whether you you're could, honest. You can fact check me. Look, look I have no Nick shame. Nick is literally peeing his pants right now. <laughs> <laughs> Nick knows how little shame I have. But the, that's the reality is for women, a lot of times we're evaluating the situation from, Am I in physical danger here? Because many of us, if we haven't been actively victimized, we've at least been in situations where we felt physically endangered. So that for me is like, if you're willing to do this stuff in front of other people, that for me is automatically disarming. So like, no matter what people joke about or do, if there are other people in the room, I automatically find that disarming because clearly you're not actually posing a threat to me. Um, unless they're all creepy. Yeah, unless they're all <laughs> creepy together. <laughs> Creeps Anonymous yeah. meeting. Statistically less probable. So speaking so. of which, you don't exist in a community that I would generally view to be a creepy community. Yeah. You work at a hyperbaric chamber. I do, yes. Which is also amusing because that is not how I was introduced to your work at all. Yeah. Which is to say that one of the topics of discussion at the last meeting was that I thought that the submarine in question was actually at it was in Columbus Columbus but Georgia. you were kind of right we yeah a repro model of it is yeah. in Columbus Georgia but there it's actually of it in everywhere. Charleston yeah and that also brought up another topic of conversation the the tea as the kids would call it, concerning the Historical Preservation Society of the Hunley. Yes. Um, so essentially... Well, okay, let's go back. Uh, you, you know, Doug, if you the mystery mind, of the Hunley. I'd like to be the concrete shoes beneath oh, your feet go. instead of the wind beneath but, your wings. Un- so so <laughs> dragging me to the learning, bottom of a Learning from our dress rehearsal. Charleston yeah, Harbor. Dragging you down to the bottom of the topic. Yep. Um, okay, so let's back up. You've already introduced me. I'm Rachel Lance. Uh, my official job, although today I'm here talking for myself, I'm an assistant consulting professor at Duke where I work out of the hyperbaric chamber. So I specialize in undersea and extreme environmental physiology. Most of what I do is underwater medicine, although sometimes I really like the high altitude stuff too. That's pretty fun. Um, and what I really love is lungs, pulmonary physiology. And so what I did during my PhD work, which was also at Duke in biomedical engineering, is I looked at blast trauma. Um, specifically underwater blast trauma. That was a really natural fit for me coming from a background where I was civil service for the Navy, where I was building underwater breathing systems, having this fascination with the lungs, which are the organ most easily damaged by explosions. And then being at Duke where they had this lab that already looked at blast and ballistic trauma patterns. So one of the projects that I did as part of that PhD was the mystery of the Civil War submarine H.L. Henley. And so that kind of brings us to where we are today is... When I left my civil service position, I was unemployed. It was fun. Which would be rad now because yeah. you make a whole thousand dollars a week. Yeah. <laughs> if only. Um, no, so I was kind of working piecemeal. I had a science project that was really important to me and Duke was willing to fund me, but to continue it because um, it was based on a guy that died um, diving on one of my projects when I was working for the Navy. And 
I wanted to continue that, um, but that was part-time work. So to supplement that and pay the mortgage slash rent at the time, um, I wrote this book. you didn't have a sugar daddy like Nick around? I didn't. You know what? Surprisingly, as much as Nick gives me in terms of emotional support, the fire department, not known for its mad ducats. Weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Weird. So. Yeah, not the most. Uh, I thought his OnlyFans page. Yeah, was so like Nick, Nick, <laughs> right Nick, is, Nick is capable. <laughs> Nick is capable, and you know he's a provider. But uh, baby likes nice things. So yeah. like, do you got a second gig? Yeah, I do not have a second gig. Um, at least right now, I, I used wife. to work off, on and off. Uh, Good move. Random jobs, whether it was lawn service care or uh, the ultimate firefighter fallback. So, yeah, yeah, the ultimate firefighter cutting grass. Yeah. I mean. There's plenty of it. They always need more people to do it. And then um, also did some stonemasonry work with a buddy of mine doing walkways, patios, stuff like that. My favorite author was a firefighter. A number of my favorite authors have been firefighters. But my all-time favorite author, Larry Brown, was a professional firefighter. If you've never read the book On Fire, no, it is phenomenal, as is everything else he ever wrote. But uh, On Fire is about being a firefighter in uh, Oxford, Mississippi. I've spent time Worth gives the best book recommendations. He oh. does. It's actually, the problem is it's unsustainable. I, like, <laughs> I get new book recommendations faster than I'm physically capable of reading. I, I have that problem, too. <laughs> yeah. Listen, I am also now a big fan of Worth. Yeah. Uh, now that we are friends on Facebook, I now read all of his his posts where... Yeah. The barbecue reviews are the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I got something on that. All there. of them just end with not as good as Waffle House. Yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> where before and most of the shout out to David Joy today for uh, introducing me to the two fried eggs on top of your hash browns, which oh, I had this oh, morning yes. for breakfast. Yes. Congratulations. Yeah. Phenomenal. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so I think it's worth noting that the real crux of the book is internal blast injuries. Yes. So I think we go back to, I I was initially fascinated with your work because of what I viewed to be a tie-in to like traumatic brain injury, which affects a lot of us. Okay. But it is deeper than that in the sense that like you explained last time we talked about lungs, your passion. Yes. And so could you explain kind of like the parallels, like, like why underwater blast is something that, is a thing and why pressure affects lungs and like what's going on with all of that. Yes. Okay. So first let me clarify one thing is because we had this trial run where not to point any fingers, there was an unspecified mistake with the soundboard. I fucked up. We, yeah, let we, the note, I'm physically <laughs> pointing a finger. I have been known I have to no, accept my I have mistakes. No recollection of who was at fault. Um, well, it was pretty good because he was literally just talking about how he did a podcast where it didn't record. Yeah, yeah, at the beginning. At Don't the beginning. worry, guys, I can't fuck this up again. Yeah. <laughs> and then I did. But anyway, um, so what we discovered is that obviously this is a very rich topic. So today we're going to talk about the submarine and we're going to talk about blast trauma to everything except the brain. And then we're going to do a separate episode just about the brain because that's obviously something a lot of people want to talk about. 100% on fire with that. Yeah. I just want to know kind of like right. how we got here. Right. And, you know, like, we. I mean, I don't know if you want to talk about the Hunley first and then talk about like how you figured, I mean, what, let com- me give just like a I'm quick you've been thinking spiel about, about explosions. Please do. Yeah. So let's give this first preamble. All right. So the Hunley was a submarine in the civil war. So at the start of the civil war, the Confederacy really 
their their navy was what we might call improvised. Um, it depends on which. Like many vehicles yeah. in the South. It was, just <laughs> yeah. a, it was just a bunch of rum runners. Like it's it, the 1860 version of some duct tape and dreams. But um, how many cannons can we put on this yacht? Yeah, I, I don't. How think does they... one put a lift kit on a submarine? <laughs> <laughs> you could say that you're from here. Um, <laughs> yeah, can we do the Carolina squat? Yeah. On <laughs> It depends on which historian you talk to, but their estimates for the number of vessels in the Confederate Navy vary between zero and 10. So obviously we're not talking about a large number of ships here. Um, So what they did was they put a call out to the people and they were like, hey, we'll give you letters of mark, which means you'll officially be the Confederate States Navy if you sign up for this. And then if you sink Union ships, we're going to pay you. Ba- a bounty, pretty much, a legalized pirate bounty. Which is what a letter mark really is, right? right? It's exactly. authorizing you to take the ship, burn it down to the ground, and take all the cargo. Yeah, it's basically like we give you this letter with a signature on it, and now you are legal pirates. And so, um, a maritime bounty hunter. Yes. So they would get cash rewards for every Union ship. These were called privateers. So Horace Henley and his two compatriots, Baxter Watson and James O'Clintock, were some of the men that kind of saw this call to action. James O'Clintock worked at this foundry in New Orleans, Louisiana, and he had seen this drawing from Nolens. Nolens. I apologize for my <laughs> Detroit pronunciation. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> He had seen this drawing from this 1852 issue of Scientific American where they'd drawn this like, it's it's hard to describe adequately over podcast, but it's a submarine design that would in no way work. But um, <laughs> it's beautiful. The drawing is in the book, um, so you can see it there. But either way, this is where they got the concept from. And so McClintock, he's kind of known for being an engineer. He used to work on steamships. He would uh, go up and down the Mississippi just um, working on steamships or making repairs. He calls this meeting looking for other people to help him. And they start working on their first submarine prototypes. Well, fast forward, a couple things go awry. There are a few sinkings. It's not great. Submarines, turns out, are pretty hard to build, especially when you're hammering them yourself out of recycled scrap iron. All right. Um, yes. Because it was a boiler, isn't that what you said last time, or something like that? It's Yeah, so it's pretty conclusively thought to be the recycled boiler from a steamship. So this guy was a steamship engineer. He would have had a lot of them. And I've seen, at this point, two different steamship boilers from that period, and they look exactly like the Hunley. Like it's it's eerie how close it's the martial equivalent of this cardboard box contest where you try to make a boat out of bar- cardboard yes yeah right. i mean well first of all there's really never been a successful submarine at this point so anything he comes up with <laughs> is definitely the most advanced technology <laughs> in history um so anyway 1864 the south is very clearly on the losing side of this war And pretty much all of the harbors are blockaded. Wilmington, I think, was open. But aside from that, there are no other major ports that are open. And the South, which doesn't really have a lot of its own industry to speak of, is really reliant on blockade runners and importation. And that's especially part of their food, especially as Sherman's closing in, right? It's like Sherman's March to the Sea. He's burning everything down. He's like, okay, guys, you're about to starve. Eerily similar to our current situation. The ghost... (laughs) <laughs> the ghost of Sherman laughs. <laughs> the ghost of Sherman laughs. Yes, he's like light it all on fire. Um, anyway, I, I'm, who doesn't I'm assuming love Sherman hated Wendy's as much as everyone else. 
There were definitely a lot of Wendy's franchises peppered throughout the South during the 1860s. I can say. That was one of their staples for cuisine. Based on the good authority, he would have spared every Waffle House. <laughs> I feel like that's a safe bet. And I think if there were more Frosties in the South, things yeah. would have burned less proudly. Everybody would have just chilled out. Yeah. If there were more Frosties, do you think the Civil War would have lasted as long? Mm, probably could have met over dipping fries in Frosties. Oh, It's hard yeah, to say. That's because true. Lee would never have invaded the North because everyone knows that it was too cold to drink Frosties there. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, as a Detroiter, we still drink that stuff in the winter. So I don't know what's I. wrong with you in, people. In triple jackets? <laughs> like, I don't understand no, why. No, you just sit in the car. <laughs> but it, no, it's, it's cold in the car in Detroit, too. No, you have a heater. It doesn't, if if your car is enough. cold, then you're doing it right. Why are my hands sweating and the rest of me is freezing to death? I don't understand. <laughs> I have this conversation with Nick all the time where his first like several winters in North Carolina, he would complain about how his hands were really cold in the winter. And yeah. I, I bought him several pairs of gloves. Doesn't make a difference. Yeah. No, I think winter three or four, he finally wore the gloves and he yeah. was like, these do make your hands <laughs> warmer. Uh, so if you wear them, <laughs> they do create a layer and a yeah. barrier between you and the cold. November uh, to like March is an ice cream free time of my life. I refuse to eat it because it's too cold outside. We can't be friends anymore. Just, there's no time I refuse <laughs> to eat ice cream. You, it yeah. makes you appreciate it more in the spring. That's when ridiculous you're like, to oh, me. the springtime joy, no, ice cream. No. It's like refusing to eat burritos. Yeah. It's not going to happen. Why would you refuse a burrito? Why would you? Why would you? <laughs> Recently, no chance. the hotter this is not you are a on joke. the inside. I, I don't know if you guys have been to Cosmic Cantina in Durham, but it is amazing. And... I have not, and I feel like I'm missing out. Post-knee surgery, one of the first days that Nick was at work and I was unattended by myself, I needed a burrito so bad that I got myself to Cosmic in a handicapped parking spot. They have a stairwell with, like, no working handrail. It kind of pulls out of the wall oh. when you touch it. Yeah, this place, I, I mean, it's, like, like, two flights of I stairs. My the way wood up is, the stairs. The wood is, like, dry rotting. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's this a, is how you know good Mexican food, yeah, though, it's a right? Like, you're about to oh, eat yeah. the best burrito. Because they do have a good sanitation ranking. It's right there. It's just that it... As I say, every time not I come to Softly Headquarters, yeah. I, there is El Ta Tacos El Corral, mm. which is my taco truck at the LKQ, you pick it, auto part place on, is it 70 headed to Smithfield? Whatever. It's the I best tacos in the state of North Carolina. I've been known to drive, you know, just get up on a Saturday, drive two hours to get tacos and drive back. You'll have to come sometime. There is a taco truck in Durham. And it doesn't have a name, but it's by the fire. The, it's by the train tracks behind the tire yeah, depot. Yeah, that's a good description. <laughs> that, that's already a, it's, it's the a one with the Christmas start. lights. Behind the tire yeah. That's how you know it's good. I only it's buy so burritos good. out of the trunk of old ladies' cars. <laughs> yeah, that's legit. Like what, what's that movie with? Uh, but anyway, Leonardo DiCaprio, where he, he plays Jim. Uh, what's his the name? The Basketball Diaries. Yeah, Basketball Diaries, where he's he cops heroin and he's like shooting up in a bathroom. I was and he kidding. Kind of goes on the nod. Yes, that is Shoot. definitely the movie. Now, <laughs> yeah, so when I go to Tacos El Corral and I bite into the first taco, I feel like Leonardo DiCaprio in that yeah. movie. And I'm usually sitting in my truck eating, and I just kind of lie back and <laughs> just go on the nod for a minute. At what point do you explore your latent homosexuality? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, man, this is an uh, interesting segue. I mean, honestly, if it means tacos, who knows? Yeah, yeah. well, fair enough. <laughs> I like to roll them up to be in a phallic shape just to get uh, me started, you know? You know what? Honestly, I think everyone can appreciate that. If it's a good taco, 
But back to the anyway, submarine warfare so the submarine, in the Civil War. 1864, they're all eating their tacos slash daydreaming about tacos in the South, where there is no food to be had. Drinking chicory. They're surviving on mush. Yes, starving yeah. and eating rats. Right. Hard tack. No, like literally. Um, so the siege of Charleston is still happening, right? It's one of the last major cities awake or standing. And so they're getting bombarded nightly. It's also the place where the Civil War started. So guns at Fort Sumter, the Declaration of Secession. So the Union troops who have now been living in these really bad Civil War style conditions where two thirds of the people are dying from horrible diseases all the time, like cholera, which is unpleasant. They're focusing all of their wrath and their artillery on Charleston. Do you think that we could benefit from having artillery to shoot at Charleston in this COVID crisis? <laughs> and did they refuse to wear masks? I actually don't. I don't know. Do you think masks protect you against artillery? Cholera, maybe? <laughs> no. Cholera. Cholera. Oh, okay. Cholera is a bacterial infection. Oh. And you get it from drinking contaminated water. And um, so generally. Only drink booze. Yeah, only drink booze. So you get it from drinking basically poop water, uh, fecal contamination. But the interesting part about cholera is the way that it reproduces, like the way that it spreads to other people, because diseases are really good at finding ways to get us to infect each other, right? Um, is it makes you have like literally diarrhea to death. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's the matter. You can survive cholera and your body can Is fight it. Is that the it. bloody flux? When you read about like the bloody flux? I actually am not totally sure. I think in the Civil War they called that the flux. That, the flux. There are a lot of Civil War diseases that cause you to have diarrhea to lethal death. levels <laughs> lethal of diarrhea. diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, so everyone's in Charleston having lethal diarrhea. Everyone's in Charleston. They yeah. So they're contaminating uh, water with their lethal diarrhea. Well, this and they're is, perpetuating. To be fair, that was happening cholera. on both sides. So two thirds of the casualties on both sides during the Civil War from infectious disease, which is actually the lowest rate of death from infectious disease in history to that point. Really? But yeah. Revolutionary War: seven eighths of the soldiers died from infectious disease. So um, that begs a question: Would those people have died from infectious disease? Sans war, like with, like in a yeah, uh, probably not. So because troop encampments are basically your perfect breeding slit ground. trench, like right. everybody's leading intense. And so not only do you have a poor understanding of what causes disease spread at that point, people haven't figured out the germ theory of disease yet. They don't know that they need to be boiling their water. They don't know that they need to have their water source separate from where they're digging their latrines. Um, so they Sounds don't like Afghanistan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know how these things are spreading at that time. And also when you do have a disease that can be spread person to the person, for example, like a typhoid, then you have everyone immediately concentrated in two close areas, which is why like COVID is spreading so much more easily in large cities. It's just the number of physical encounters you have with another yeah, person. proximity. Right, exactly. So um, that's why we brought you into a small room without masks. I got tested last week, man. Did you? Yeah, I did because I was coughing a lot and it turns out I'm just having weird allergies. Antibodies would lead me to believe that I have yeah. already had it. However, comma, they also assured me that the antibody testing was very unreliable. Did you so, get an antibody test? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. I apparently... Yeah, ate, all ate, of the tests are pretty unreliable right appa now. Yeah, apparently a day of body aches is what it was. Well, it depends on the person. So the majority of people are luckily not having severe symptoms, but when it hits, it hits real good. So, Doug, does this mean you're no longer flat earthing <laughs> COVID? Uh, no, not at all. I believe that <laughs> if, if, everyone, if everyone approaches this problem the way I have, which is to 
make sure that every disease receptor in your body is occupied by another like disease. <laughs> plug another yeah. one. In. It's, like, it's like, hey man, we can't possibly. The hotel's full. Get out. Wouldn't it be hilarious <laughs> if it turned out that like active gonorrhea infection was protective against COVID? Oh fuck <laughs> like, yeah! Are you kidding me? Like when I cut off my ear mid podcast yeah. because of the syphilis. <laughs> a sweet, delicious irony. I'd just like to say, welcome to Charleston. <laughs> anyway, speaking of Charleston. Okay. <laughs> so everyone's dying of infection. So everyone's dying of infection. So the Union troops are pissed about this. The inland in Charleston, actually, the wealthy people who could evacuate already did. So it's really important to mention that the city at this time is roughly half black, half white. So it's not just like and all poor. And yeah, most of the people left are poor. Okay. So they're being shelled every single night. This is almost like a matter of pride for the Union troops offshore who are just trying to end the war and go home. Um, and so one of the ways that the Confederacy wanted to approach this is sort of their last ditch effort. And that's this submarine, the H.L. Hunley. So this thing has already proven to be just insanely dangerous. Uh, the prototype has hung a couple times. The Hunley itself sank twice, at least twice, um, depending on which historical record And when record they sink, I'm assuming the whole crew dies. One time the whole crew died. The prototypes, the whole crew died. One time the whole crew died. One time five of the eight died. So still not amazing. How do they lift it? Do you know? They had hard hat divers at that time. So oh. they had surface applied okay. heart helmet divers. Oh, Nick is making a new best friend with this dog. So they just so, they just like uh, drop guys in there and so they, they just put drop bags guys in and pump yes. them up and bring it to the surface? Pretty much exactly like you would do today. Like the principles of buoyancy haven't changed, right? And these guys like... The submarines had to operate with a snorkel, right? It wasn't like they had some sort of like system to scrub air. They did not have any kind of system to scrub air. At that point, they didn't have the knowledge of respiratory mechanics to understand that they were going to be like at big danger of carbon dioxide, which is really what gets you first. Um, so you end up having buildup of carbon dioxide a long time before you have any problems from lack of oxygen. But they did have a snorkel system in the thing, and that was their plan for air supply when they were submerged. But... It didn't work well. So all the historical Is accounts... Is that why when I lie at the bottom of a, a pond and try to suck through a hose, <laughs> it's ineffective? That's actually a different reason. We can get back to that if you want. No, there's. I just don't think that they built it with enough of a flow capacity. So like I did the math and looking at the pipe sizing of it, they would have really... It's kind of ironic. It's a bit of a catch-22 because they had a bellows system. And so to get enough air, they would have had been exercising really, really hard on the bellows system at a way that was like physically unachievable, which also means you're consuming a lot more oxygen. Mm -hmm. um, so their main plan was basically just to go down when they needed to and then resurface and then open the conning tower hatches. So they had two hatches, one toward the bow and one toward the stern. And that was also how they got in and out of the vessel. You take some fresh ale. Yeah. <laughs> a constitutional. <laughs> but, um, so anyway, February 17th, 1864, they also already know that the submarine has sunk a couple of times. It's been raised. They forced slaves to clean it out, which is revolting because they had to dismember the crew because they were bloated. That's what happens when you spend time underwater. And then they have a new crew of eight. 
And February 17th is when they decide that the Atlantic is calm enough. And so they take their submarine and they head for what is the closest physically located vessel, which makes a lot of sense because it's hand cranked. So there's... And they're all scared shitless because everybody that's ever been in it before is dead. (laughs) I would be scared shitless personally. I think it would be really fun if you had scuba gear with you. Um, But short of that, I'm not sure. That was not invented at that time. I have (laughs) at least theoretically approached ships from below. Yeah. Really not that fun. It's not that fun. <laughs> no, in fact, I would say that, that military diving is proof that the military can suck the fun out of anything. Yeah, yeah. Diving in blacked out water at night on a compass heading is really just not fun at I all. I mean, that was how I learned to dive as a recreational diver. So I'm sorry for that. It was just bad weather. Are you far enough below the surface that like an errant redneck in a boat's not going to hit you? Yeah, you can go down to 50 feet on a okay, drager. Perfect. Yeah. All right, cool. Then what are you worried about? Uh, you would be amazed at how many things you can run into. I ran into a piling in the middle of St. John's Bay, <laughs> just kicking hard as I could go. Wham, right in my head first. <laughs> no shit. Bam. This just explains so much And even you. better, there was, <laughs> I will tell you, on our, our final graduation exercise, there were two teams of six divers, and the, you're all linked together by lines, mm-hmm. and they dropped us way out in the middle of this enormous bay off the coast of Panama City Beach, and we still managed to run into one another and have a collision six on six like broadside and become completely entangled with each other <laughs> underwater. <laughs> this this whole ocean and you guys couldn't fucking avoid six dudes. Yeah. Twelve Marines could still find a way to screw it up. So. That was actually that's the least surprising story I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> so so straight line distance to yeah. the first ship they can see. Yeah. Yeah, straight line distance of first ship they can see. And what they have is, so this thing is basically a 40-foot long tube. It's about four feet in diameter. And so they're kind of hunched over and they're cranking away. And they have basically what I call like a unicorn horn. It's their spar. At the end of that is their torpedo, which at that time it's was more not... more of a narwhal. I know. I narwhal. really reject the unicorn analysis and It is more of a narwhal, narwhal, actually. That's better. That's a, did you know that's a tooth? Did not. Know I was that. just <laughs> going to say that because we watched this on a documentary the other day. I know. Yeah. I made. I made Nick listen to my. Fun is it just a serrated? <laughs> it's a serrated. Tooth? It's like an overgrown. Yeah, it's canine just an tooth. overgrown. Tooth. Yeah. Anyway, um, so narwhal, the narwhal of the submarine. Yep. It has a lethal cap, and it's um, it's a black powder torpedo. So at that time, they don't have self-propelled mechanisms. It's just a pressure trigger. There are some historical documents that say 135 pounds of powder, um, but honestly, there are more reputable. And so that number's out there a lot, but there are more reputable ones that say 200. So this thing would have been like about the size of a beer keg, if not slightly and it's larger. And just point detonated? It's just trigger. Yeah. So I mean, it's so just it's got just like a retaining like wire. Like a percussion cap or? Yeah. So it's got a mercury fulminate percussion cap inside um, connected to like a spring loaded so plunger. So, so it on the ha- nose or the base? So on the nose, there are three plungers, okay. all of which have fragile retaining wires. And so if any of these three plungers contacts something with sufficient force to snap that retaining wire, they're all spring-loaded. So that spring launches them back into the mercury fulminate percussion cap, which is like yep. their old-fashioned squids. Which right? is con- How do they waterproof that? I, you know, that's not really specified. Um, is mercury fulminate even... I Because it's not... That's... It's friction, but I, I don't... Does it You're need to be dry? It worked really well for them. Yeah. Um, so this was this was what they were using for all of their un- contact uh, contact lines. Anything that's so. like impact sensitive like that, 
that I mean, it would be pretty easy to put it in like glass or well, something that would protect it. Yeah, yeah. So there are different trigger designs depending on the the torpedo. So obviously their torpedoes were also floating stationary targets. The ones that they would leave like just weighted around Charleston Harbor. Um, so this was also a big novel thing in warfare. Um, there were two brothers called the Rains brothers. They were North Carolinians, and they by the end of the war, people started calling them the Bomb Brothers, um, which is pretty pretty cool as far as nicknames go. They're just doing sea mines and IEDs and stuff like that. Well, the one of them, George Washington Reigns, was responsible for manufacturing all of the gunpowder in the Confederacy. And so he's pretty interesting. He was a chemistry professor at West Point, which he'd like finally agreed to that posting because they hadn't been letting him blow up enough artillery and he got bored. Um, yeah. So he, he'd been, um, most demo guys are that way. Yeah. No, he actually requested a demotion to get put on artillery. He was like, now nah, I want more. I want to blow stuff up more. And so they demoted him and then he became famous for kind of like writing these letters, asking for more, more ability to practice. <laughs> He's like, we need to be blowing things up more often guys. <laughs> We're calling to practice. Like Timothy um, McVeigh going and working for the ATF. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So this guy pretty much loved his explosives, um, but then he ended up taking this appointment at West Point as a chemistry professor. And when the Civil War started, he immediately left that. He was like, Confederacy, I am here. And so he got put in charge of building a black powder mill, which, of course, he'd never done before. So this made sense. But they were like, that guy's really smart. And so he lived in railroad cars for a few months while he was picking out the right site. And it was, it was cool because he had a pamphlet. So he built the, first, the Confederate black powder mill because he had a pamphlet with no pictures. And he was like, this is fine. This will all work. Well, it Which it as did. As anything else. Yeah. <laughs> technologically. It actually, he ended up uh, putting together a pretty serious little operation. So he was the one that was building all the, the black powder. So he would have been the one to supply the Hunley's torpedo and fill this thing with black powder as well as providing munitions in addition to like the blockade runners who were running it through from Europe. So his brother, Gabriel Reigns, is most well known for inventing landmines. And so he Thanks for that, dude. Yeah, no. He was one of a long list of military tech inventors who was convinced that his invention would put an end to all warfare because it would just make all warfare too scary for everybody. I can just say it made Western Iraq a really unpleasant place to be. Yeah, so clearly he was wrong. Um, <laughs> but uh, I mean... Do we still yeah. have warfare, Doug? Yeah, but in a... So then a, he, he was not correct. It's worth putting it into focus that we now have low-intensity conflicts and that all countries are too afraid to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, that we've had a 50-year peace. Hmm. This seems all like a separate to a episode. All landmine maker in the 1860s. Yeah. I mean, it is. it has contributed to... a perpetual state of low-level warfare with much lower body counts than regular war. It's mm -hmm. not the nukes at all. That's why we can I, say... I, yeah. I, this seems like a separate podcast. We episode. can say I, I, like the Iraq <laughs> War, the Afghanistan War, those are all pussy conflicts that are nothing like, you know, World well, War II. One thing we can agree on, there are a lot fewer fatalities from lethal diarrhea. That's true. That's inarguable. Although, but I will say, if you go to Southeast Asia, you will see a lot of people missing lower extremities. Yeah. 
happen. Yeah, it's a still a global problem. Princess Diana had a huge problem with that. Yeah. Yes, she did. <laughs> that's why they and killed you see her. What happened? To yeah, her. that's why they killed her in a car accident. <laughs> Landmine manufacturers. You just spawned a whole new section of the web for conspiracy theories. I was listening to this podcast, and this green beret said that Princess Diana was killed not because of Dode Fayette. Gabriel Reigns. So Gabriel Reigns. So he invented landmines. He also was like, you know what? These things will work great underwater. So we can thank him for like the floating underwater mines, which at that time they called torpedoes. But they which did at a time in my childhood, I thought were way more prevalent in my life than they actually would be. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. Did you think you were going to deal with that You're a lot? You're talking about the ones that are like a little ball that has all the like spikes. Like from Finding Nemo? The yeah. ones that look like the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Yes. They were big up until like World War II. And then after World War II, they're not around as much. I just remember seeing Why? a movie when I was um, like They seven. got easier to detect and avoid. But if you're going like like 20 knots or something in a ship and someone just hangs one out there like a crab trap, what's to say that it, mm. you know, yeah. I mean, it, I, don't I don't know, know anything about being in a boat, and I'm assuming that they have some way to see <laughs> those kind of things. <laughs> I'm literally like, nope, don't Listen, know. man, I deal with injuries to people. Um, I, just, so. I really did think that those things were going to be a factor in my life as you an did. adult. You just saw all the pictures, and you were like, there's no way the <laughs> movies have lied to me about explosives. Terrifying. Everything in the movies about <laughs> explosives is accurate. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, um, so they did have caps like you mentioned where they were glass caps they had little like thin walled copper crush things and things like that so they had all kinds of different um methods of setting off those triggering those explosions and then fun. and then that worked for the hunley so it sort of <laughs> kind of depends on your definition of work mixed success mixed results well so it seemed like the explosive worked the bermuda triangle took those sailors after their great success <laughs> and rewarded them. Doug, why did I do a PhD when you were here yeah, to answer it so out, easily? They, they were hanging out in Atlantis for at least a hundred years while they waited for you to come and ruin their fucking Listen, time. There are some people in South Carolina who would argue that they are in fact still alive. So you don't know that they were taken by With anything. Elvis yeah. and Tupac What Shaker. are the theories you so, of what happened okay, to the Hunley after it exploded Because we don't want to... You can't let the truth get the, get in the way of a good story. <laughs> yeah. that's, what that's what I've learned. Basically. Yeah, you don't, we, we can't skip the explosion. Okay, so 200 pounds of black powder goes off. It's very exciting. goes off underneath the starboard hull of the Housatonic, which is like a wood hull sloop. It's massive. There are about 200 people on deck. They saw this thing approaching, so they had a little bit of warning, but really submarines were not super common at this time, so there was a bit of an argument. There's a big alligator um, out there. What yeah. the fuck? These <laughs> South Carolinians are crazy. You, no one will be surprised to hear that the lookout had to argue with his commanding officer, because the commanding officer was like, nah, that's a log, and he was like, no, dude, it's moving against the tide. <laughs> Worth, this is the point where I disparage officers. Let's yeah. just get past I'm, yeah. I'm just, just baiting you. It. It's just done. Baiting Continue. <laughs> we all know how we feel. Yep. Um, so anyway, they see it coming, but they can't train their artillery down. So at that point, the captain of the ship, who's standing on a horse block, firing at this thing with his rifle, which is kind of the coolest place to be at this point. That officer doesn't sound like he's a total shithead. Just no, he seemed pretty cool. He did grab the wrong hat. So he's like wearing someone else's hat. But aside from that, he's pretty cool. He yells at everyone to just like get to the bow of the boat, right? He's like, just get up, get out of the way because it's coming toward the stern. So this ends up saving a ton of lives. Only five people are killed. The um the captain of the ship and his um assistant 
I forget the word. I'm blanking. But anyway, his his, his like attendant. No, 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 hmm. not his exo. Um, his cabin boy. It's more like a cabin boy. He had an official title. I'm just his his official rank steward. was his adjutant. His steward. Thank steward. you. Good guess. They were killed. Steward. No, they were not killed, but they were hit by flying shrapnel. Um, so like that's a pretty common right? thing in wood yeah. ships. So pieces of the boat, they were pretty seriously injured. Um, Lord but Admiral they both Nelson survived. caught all kinds of <laughs> secondary fragmentation. Yes. All right. So yes. to draw the scene. So anyway, it's February. Right? It's February. The Off. ocean is freezing. So this ship is now sinking. Thankfully, it's only in 30 feet of water. It's a large enough ship that the masts and the sails are all sticking up out of the water, even as it settles to the ocean floor. So the rest of the crew, about 200, survive by climbing into the rigging and so they're all up there dangling until the other ships in the blockade come and save them which they do um only five people total died on the Housatonic. but the hunley herself just sort of drifted away and it wasn't heard from again until 1995 um when the best-selling author club cussler yes! announces that he's found it dirk so, what's, what's dirk's last name dirk pitt, pitt. Dirk pitt. Yeah, Dirk. Is that really Clive Cussler, though? Like, did he write the book? Like, I never realized that Clive Cussler was writing an autobiographical tale, an autobiographical tale. I mean, he, my understanding, and again, this is based on incomplete knowledge, is that he wasn't even really, like, out there doing the scouting. So he built new, like, I know a little bit about this. He just, like, funded part of it. Because after I read your book, I went up uh, on a Clive Cussler internet deep dive. Yeah. Yeah. The books are very decent. I, I read them when For I was pulp young. fiction. Yeah. They're great. I mean, the guy, the guy's <laughs> brilliant. He figured some things out that, you know, any author should figure out if you're trying to make money. But yeah. isn't this a dude I've that wrote Sahara? To, yeah. That's like, yeah, Sahara. Yeah. Yeah. Sahara. I like Sahara. If you get Matthew McConaughey to be the lead man, you already have my thing because that dude, whew, so man. hot. Does I, he light uh, your fire? I am literally having hot flashes thinking about him right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm a Tom Hardy man myself. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you could have Tom Hardy. You know what? Or they're Tom not Hardy would be into it. Oh, is that right? Yeah. yeah. No. Tom yeah, Hardy. Oh, is... because that was the obstacle here. <laughs> <laughs> now, hey, Tom Hardy's going to listen to this podcast and he's yeah. going to be like, I appreciate Worth Parker for his brain. Yeah. And I am going to. He'll be like, hey, Worth Parker. I'm going to make him mine. Your service. Yep. It's Let me hold that. My, my mouth will yeah. get soft. Not going to be my looks. <laughs> now, to, to be fair, <laughs> somehow I think my wife would object, but yeah, it's Tom Hardy. I, I, I know, see, Tom Hardy. I feel like you get a waiver for Tom Hardy. <laughs> I, I see Tom Hardy being more into worth than Matthew McConaughey being into into Doug. Ooh, wow. shade thrown. This is, Whoa. This is, this is literally the Whoa. worst moment of my adult <laughs> life right now. I, I just had a hot firefighter tell me that Matthew McConaughey wouldn't fuck me. <laughs> it's a low, low moment. On my 39th birthday, I realized that I truly Aww. am old and undesirable. <laughs> you don't look a day over 38. That's not true. Well, I guess maybe Dallas Buyers Club, Matthew McConaughey. Dallas Buyers would. Club, would I would take two. He was very charming. There, a lot of personality. Use protection for that one. <laughs> it's for sailors. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of sailors, <laughs> so anyway. in, in '95. So in '95, that's the announcement. A bunch of guys who use condoms. Bun- yes. They all. They're all alive. <laughs> uh, well, actually, that's not true. Um, Clive Kistler recently passed away. So yes, he did. Yeah, he died um, a couple months ago. So anyway, they bring this boat up in 2000, and the agreement is the federal government owns this. This is spoils of war, right? So this is an enemy vessel that's been sunk in combat. Though it was sunk um, by privateers, so there's a certain irony to that. They kind of sank themselves. Um, That's true. But we didn't know that at the time. But it was also in federal waters, so... Oh, okay, sorry. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. anyway, the lawyers can... 
have their own debate over that. But anyway, the agreement is the U.S. Navy owns it and it's being taken forever to South Carolina where they have full control over how it will be displayed in perpetuity, which is... No protesters going to tear this submarine down. Not yeah. in South Carolina. Absolutely. Working on, <laughs> working, on more infer- working on providing some more information to people about that. Um, but... Uh, Anyway, so... And, and then we find our heroine inserted into the story. <laughs> and then Rachel Lance arrives. <laughs> no, nope, I'm still like a teenager at that point. I did not care about Civil War submarines yet. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, they start conserving it. So immediately they start chipping away at the concretion, which is the, like the accumulated crud on the outside of the boat. They open up some of the panels on the hull and they start scooping out all the silt and the muck that's intruded over there. One of the first things that they determine is that, interestingly... The hull of the submarine was not damaged by the attack. So there are a couple holes in it. There's a small one in the conning tower that occurred around the time of the attack, but that was not really enough to sink the boat. It's up in the conning tower. We know they attacked on the surface. So in theory, they should have just been fine. But the other ones are all due to just like the erosion and the normal spending 150 years under the ocean type of damage and they figure that out because of the way that the sediment is layered so they know that sediment was not intruding from those points is this the same people that tell me that the earth is millions of years old unlike the three thousand years old that the bible tells me it is yes scientists i think they have a title they're the same people that told me covid was a real thing yeah (laughs) (laughs) i can't believe they all are paid clearly academia is flawed Everything you think you know from science is wrong, and you should 100% go with your feelings. I saw it on a GeoCities website that had fireworks and American flags flying <laughs> yeah. on it. If you saw it on YouTube, it is real. Um, anyway. Fucking Illuminati. Yeah, so one of the interesting <laughs> things, <laughs> the thing that caught me and where I was trying to go with this when I intended it to be a two-minute summary of that. That never happened to Good luck. Never happened. failing. Um, anyway, so one of the key discoveries as they're scooping out the muck from inside this boat is that, one, the skeletal remains are still in there. Two, the skeletal remains are not damaged. My they mom knows chill. the guy. I was talking to my mom on the way up here today. She yeah. knows the guy that did the autopsies. Oh, Doug Owsley? Um, is that, that maybe right? I don't know. Yeah, that's the Smithsonian guy. There may have been other people yeah, as well. Yeah, this is another so guy. This knew. is a doctor okay. that Doug was is one a great of her name. Literally, yeah. this guy's a mensch. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the Smithsonian personnel um, who specialize in like old remains and things were the ones that did the autopsies, but they found no evidence of any kind of skeletal trauma whatsoever. And they also were seated at their stations. So everyone is sitting at their crank, especially Lieutenant Dixon, who's kind of the one steering. You know, again, he's an officer. He doesn't have to crank. Why would he? Um, That's because he's his uh, Lieutenant Dick's son. (laughs) (laughs) Doug Doug is looking around the room waiting for his applause. Uh, (laughs) People are terrible. (laughs) You sit on a throne of (laughs) self-satisfaction. I was going to wait a little bit to start the slow clap. clap. (laughs) uh. There you go. Um, Anyway, so he he literally has his own like little tiny nugget sized bench and he's still sitting on his tiny bench with his ankles just crossed and he's just sort of slumped over on it. Right. So this is not a group of people who is drowning because their vessel is slowly filling with water. That was a very big clue because when your vessel is slowly filling with water, you at least try to get out slash they had bilge pumps. They didn't even, the bilge pumps were not even set to the setting to get rid of water. Um, They also had weights along the bottom of the keel that they could release from inside the submarine and they had made no effort to 
set those loose. So previous thinkings where the crew had died, they had like been trying to unturn them and they just hadn't designed it well. It took too many threads to unscrew that. They couldn't get them loose. Um, so this one, these, this crew shows no signs of escape. So now we enter Rachel, who is a PhD student at Duke while also working as a civil servant. And so obviously I have this fascination with underwater physiology and I'm in this lab that is letting me also play with explosives. Rachel has an um. interesting selection of toys. And <laughs> that sounds really wrong. It's true though. But yeah, I mean, you have like a, it's like, Oh, I have a, I have this, bag of explosives in a hyperbaric chamber. What can I do with this? <laughs> Six foot long submodel. Yeah. So actually one of the running jokes is that like this whole project is just basically put together by me being really nice to everybody and then them helping me. Um, so that's kind Which of, is a, it's a fascinating assemblage of human beings. Yeah. And it's, it's a hodgepodge of characters. So it really ended up being like a whole assorted group of randos, but that's actually been my favorite part is meeting people like yourselves or are you calling us an assorted group of randos? You're, you're part of my assorted group of randos. <laughs> you do not <laughs> individually constitute an assorted group. <laughs> no, when, I, when I was a kid, I used to like to play the game gauntlet and it was always like, look at this ragtag band of people that got to play. You it's know, a good game. On a Red journey warrior together. needs food. Yep, that's us. Hey, we've created that yeah. gang. Yeah. yeah, we're basically um, nerds. You know, yeah, we're basically like the Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like we're just, you know, worth our hobbit. I am, <laughs> I am, I am really annoyed that I am my cell phone. Yeah. Samwise Gamgee. Yeah. <laughs> and I, my Facebook page. Yeah. <laughs> please, exactly. please be Boromir. Please be Boromir. <laughs> <laughs> we've already identified you're not going that way. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. <laughs> what if I'm, no, I'm, I'm not Legolos either, so... <laughs> Your That's whoever definitely Matthew Nick. McConaughey wouldn't ears. do it with. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, this started out as kind of like a weekend project. You know, when you're in grad school, you kind of don't say no to stuff. It's a really one-sided power. I think dynamic. a lot of problems start yeah, that way. <laughs> a lot of problems start that way. This one worked out for me okay at the end, but um, it, there's a really one-sided power dynamic. So if your advisor suggests you work on something that's that's pretty clear that you should be working on something. Um, but anyway, this started out as like what was supposed to just be a fun side project that I was going to set up a computer model of it. Then it turned out black powder was a nightmare. You can't really model it super easily. Um, building the ship in this, in this, um, Software was going to be a nightmare. You can't really prove that your computer model is working correctly. And so finally, it got to the point where I just decided to build a scale model and blow it up, which... I like your attitude. <laughs> yeah, thanks. That's actually my solution to a lot of problems. <laughs> but um, Oddly enough, it's yeah. frequently been Doug and mine. Yeah, there 20 you years later, here we are. I don't a bother building explosive. a model. Yeah. <laughs> my anthem is, fuck it, let's yeah. do it live. <laughs> this real submarine... Yeah. Right. Work. So the reason that, that I wanted to investigate this problem, as we've kind of hinting at, is because my specialty is underwater blast trauma. So explosions obviously can cause damage to humans. There are four different categories of damage, and they're really conveniently named primary, secondary, tertiary, quaternary. So they're basically numbered for you, numbers one through four. The best thing I learned today was that quaternary is a real word. Quaternary is a real word. I <laughs> I fun to say. I use tertiary all the time, but now is a hard flex on people, and I'm like, my Quaternary concern is, <laughs> is, is syphilis involved. <laughs> if you tell me what the one for five is, I will tell you Nick's ethnicity without making you guess. P pentanary? 
That's what I Pintary? was going to go to. I think yeah. it's Quintanary. Is it? Ooh, I'm not. Quince. I'm not. Quintuplets. It's be... usually like Quint, but I'm not 100 percent sure. So. Why would we have two Quints and Pence for Sext- five? My sextary concern here is still the syphilis. That's <laughs> 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 generally your concern, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Actually, it's never my concern, which is why it is so far down the chain of command on concerns. So we know. Safety third. So we know that syphilis is not the preventative for COVID. Uh, we don't know that actually. Well, for you. Yeah, I mean, I only it. had it briefly. Yeah. So. <laughs> if I had it at all. If, oh, okay. the, if the doctors are to believe, I think that everyone who has an antibody test is being told that they have had it. No. I know people who have had oh, it. Oh, COVID. Yeah. I thought you were talking about syphilis. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we I, I thought no, we I tracked him. I got you. I'm totally <laughs> missing the switch. <laughs> we, we were talking about the fact that maybe if one had syphilis, it prevented you from getting right. COVID. We uh, were calling yeah. back to the earlier conversation about Doug saying all of his I was just looking at Doug and thinking, well, I just always assumed. Occupied. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, thankfully, syphilis is not transitory or transmitted via respiratory excretions. I am the monkey from Outbreak. We've talked about it before. <laughs> You're patient zero for none airborne of, syphilis. None of the symptoms. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm just okay. cruising along, having a great time. Okay, good to know. Um, Flinging poop. Yeah, <laughs> don't we all? Anyway. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> well, Metaphorical that poop. Is, that is what social media has become. Well, uh, I mean, with the lack of toilet paper out there, what else are you supposed to do with that? Yeah, it? that's so. true. Bidets. They are amazing. Heated toilet seats and a blast of water on your anus. Luxury. I had a friend that worked for Google and he I definitely made him take me to his workplace just because he had talked up their heated toilet seats so much. They're amazing. We need to go to your work. No, I did not. We do. I did not. You need to treat yourself after this. This conversation just changed. (laughs) (laughs) I used to have a heated toilet seat actually for the most part. You lived in Miami. Exactly. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't mean you don't want a, a well cared for bomb. It's Miami, Doug. As someone who's a scientist, let me ask you a question. We were about to, prevent, to talk about blast trauma. Prevent, I feel like there's so many listeners right now who are like, damn it, Rachel, just <laughs> tell me what blast trauma is. Literally none of our, our listeners like to talk about poop. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is so this the is, first time it's been a topic this in this This is actually room. retaining them after I use the yeah. word quaternary. After COVID <laughs> um, being a concern, you scientists, I'm using air quotes for all of our listeners, that comes um, across well in a podcast. have led me to believe that I'm supposed to wash my hands. I have never, ever, ever in my life been told to wash my hands by just rubbing dry paper on my hands and being like, well, everything's good. Uh, Instead, it's like spray that shit with water while you sing the ABC song twice and make sure you wipe all the way to your wrists. So like, why would we not wipe our butts the same way? That's actually a fair question. I mean, well, especially in the age of analingus. Do you eat with your butt? Uh, no, but people eat my butt. Then it the is age. the 21st okay. century. So much more than okay. I ever wanted to know <laughs> yeah. about you, Doug. That, that explains a lot of your obsession with Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying, it, the kids these days are doing lots of weird shit. And well, hey, it's 2020. Every anti-COVID thing I've seen has said, don't engage in analingus because it is a higher risk of transmission of COVID. Yes. So COVID has been shown to infect the intestinal luma, which is the lining of See? your intestines. So not a real doctor, uh, PhD, but I really, really love infectious disease. So like, <laughs> don't we all? It's so fascinating to me. Um, no, no, these like little things take over our bodies, man. So it's your, pretty cool. Your quaternary concern. <laughs> <laughs> I do not expect to be exposed to fecal matter personally, but no Good plan. I'm sorry, yeah, Nick. It's plan A. Plan A is next. <laughs> <laughs> Save that one for Thailand. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, <laughs> but yes, if, if you suspect that other people might be exposed to that area of your body, you should be doing a more careful job cleaning it first. I think everyone should be. Yeah. Because again, it's reference earlier choice. conversation about cholera. Yep. Good way to pass that yep. as well as dysentery mm. and all kinds of. No, I'm so, we're so far off the mark now. No, we we're are. Not because no, we're talking concern. about quaternary blast trauma. Yep. Right. I got it. Um, okay. So I like to explain them in sort of a random order. There's a reason for that. So we're going to go simplest to most complicated. Okay. Okay. So quaternary is basically your other category. So anytime they put like infectious biologics in the in the explosive, or if you have nuclear radiation concerns, or you have burns, that's that's your other grab bag of like anything else that can possibly happen in an explosion that is not covered by categories one and through three. And that's like quaternary. That's quaternary. Yeah. And then so number two, the secondary is the injury type that people see. It's one of the more common ones that's shrapnel. So anything that's thrown by the blast. So it can also be the casing of the charge itself, or it can be, you know, whatever ball bearings or nails they put on it, or it can also be small objects in the immediate vicinity that are then propelled by the blast. And so obviously shrapnel is kind of self-explanatory. That's just bad. Um, tertiary is when you are thrown by the blast yourself. So if you are thrown by the blast and you break your arm, that is a tertiary injury. That is not very common because if you are in a blast range where you are physically being translated by the blast, that's the word we use is translation, you are in a range where you are going to die of pulmonary fatality. So it's very uncommon to see tertiary injuries. One of the situations where it can occur is if someone's in a protective EOD suit, you can experience blast exposure that's strong enough to throw you where that suit protects you mm -hmm. sufficiently. Um, and so that is possible. And so now, I don't know any EOD techs who ever wear their suit. That's because it's <laughs> just stupid. the underwear. Because <laughs> it's, it's stupid and hot, and because uh, Renner, whatever his name is, uh, War One, right? That movie. Okay. Yeah. Well, super realistic, by the way. It is that that I'm just giving you the physics, man. What you, your choices? Are everyone your choices. can drag an 80, <laughs> so. a, a linked set of six 83 pound projectiles up with their hands. <laughs> it's all right. I'm going to now refer to Rachel's book as the Hurt Locker too. <laughs> <laughs> there are less redux. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's a small metal container full of men spinning a propeller. Yeah. That all died in a blast. Yeah. Heart locker yeah. too. Yeah. Spoilers done. So one at the at the end scene, we'll Just see kidding. it. They died in a boat. They yeah. They spoke. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. There's a reason we're here, and it's to talk about blast Spoiler trauma. Alert. So it should be pretty obvious that we're talking about a blast trauma. Um, so anyway, primary injury is really what I was suspicious of when I started looking at the case of the Hunley, and that's because, as you guys might already be aware. Most people have no idea what a real explosion looks like. Yes. They see these like giant gasoline balls and Sylvester Stallone movies, and they're like, that's definitely, you know, realistic C4. And you're like, I didn't know. But anyway. Um, I have <laughs> to put gasoline on all my explosions just I, so it looks amazing. I do just for fun. Like, and then walk away in slow-mo. It's anticlimactic yeah. to blow things up normally. Yeah. And be like, well, look at all that stupid dirt. I, yeah. I watched Spike Lee's, well, I watched 30 Minutes of Spike Lee's new movie the other <gasps> day. The and Five Bloods? Yeah. I haven't seen it yet, but I'm I excited. wanted to love it. I didn't love it. But uh, that's because you're white. The conversation <laughs> with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it has the most realistic representation of an M203 explosion I've ever seen. Really? And that's a, a, I got that from Jake Demon, who actually said that to me. But They're, that is the same thought I had while I was watching it. You mean it. that it was. 
bunk and boring. Yeah. And exactly. you were like, and it, son of a it, bitch. No. It, <laughs> I was like, that is awesome. I was like, that is so great. It was this really inconsequential explosion and boom. It was guys just like, like the real Guys are yeah. like, uh, hey man, you know, bring the grenade launcher. Yeah, cool. I'm bringing it with nothing but smoke. Because <laughs> the only reason to have it is to mark the target for a rotor wing. <laughs> Go ahead. Good times. Sorry. Um, no, that's cool. So we are worried about primary blast injury. Yeah. Which we can't see. We were worried about blast. Yes. So you cannot usually see it. So primary blast injury is injuries from the shockwave itself. Or in the case of the Hunley, because you have black powder, you're dealing with a low explosives. You don't have a shockwave, right? Human beings are still pretty fragile. We can go into the differences there just for people who might not so have dealt with explosives. High, lot, high explosives. High explosive has a combustion rate faster than the speed of sound. So that burn front moves through that material faster than the speed of sound in air, which is 343 meters per second. Low explosives. This is literally the definition between the two categories. So low explosives, that burn front moves slower than the speed of sound. And that might sound like it's really nitpicky, but the way that a explosive makes a shockwave is because that whole thing has burned and created this super heated ball of gas before it can start really propagating outward. So it does a little bit, but like the whole thing is gone so quickly that you end up with this like massively high pressure, superheated ball of gas. Whereas low explosives, if it like, if you sprinkle black powder on the ground and you lay down fire, you're just going to get like a nice little semi boring fire, right? Because it's burning so slowly. It's deflagration. It's deflagration. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Which is learned a new word. Yeah. You cannot say the Hunley's torpedo detonated because detonation is high explosives. So it's specific terminology. Now, that being said, when you contain low explosives. We'll get there. All right. Okay. Just just hold on your bridges. Bear with me. (laughs) What? Bear with you. It didn't detonate, but it still blew up. Yes. It blew up. It blew up. Um, Words words have meaning. Words have meaning. Right. And so that becomes really important when you're talking about, I'd like to talk about high explosive search just because I think a big part of this podcast is to communicate blast trauma in general. And then we'll start talking about that Hunley specifically. So when we talk about, also worth noting, just as a segue, and we don't have to go down the road, but I mean, when we think about like IEDs and a lot of the other stuff, like like repurposed military munitions are typically going to be some kind of high explosive, but in general, homemade explosives are low yield explosives right. that are detonated by something right. higher yield. So a lot of times when you're dealing with improvised explosive types, what they're counting on is those secondary injuries. So a lot of what you'll see, yes, you see primary injuries sometimes, but many of them are designed to cause more damage from shrapnel and projectiles. It's like ammonium, yeah, like ammonium nitrate, yeah. things like that. Like they're, they have a the blast wave that you're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. It has a much like more forceful right. wave. So it's not necessarily the pressure Although you do get more of a pressure from high explosives, usually um, it's the rate at which the pressure hits you. So a shock wave, by definition, because it's being pushed by the superheated ball of gas, is moving faster than the speed of sound. And what that means to like an engineer or physics nerd like me is the air molecules downstream don't know what's coming. It's like Nick is blindfolded, so he cannot see my hand coming towards his face. So that's basically your idea. That was slaps. Yeah. Yeah, so that was those slap games kill right. me now. Whereas man. like Dudes normal sound, <laughs> normal 
sound, you get like this pinball ricochet effect. Like one molecule hits the other, hits the other. Whereas shockwave, it's moving so fast, they all start to accumulate together at this wavefront. And so if it's a car, when you get hit by shockwave, your pressure level goes from zero to 60 in like literally zero seconds. So obviously imagine being in a car that did that. That's not going to work. Um, whereas if you had a two seconds, you're probably a lot better off. It's still a fast car, but like you'll, you'll probably survive it. So the same thing happens with a shockwave. That's why high explosives are more likely to cause primary injury versus a low explosives where you get a pressure increase, but you get a longer time for your body to adapt to it. So, so low yield though is going to have like more structural damage as well, right? Well, I don't deal with structures. I deal with people. Um, so at that point, so, I mean, yeah, again, at that point, you're really talking about how it's set up in configuration compared to your structure. So when you're doing and this is so structural damage, if you have something like a low explosive where you have a high burn rate, you can generate more heat like applied to a specific point location. So if that's what you're talking about, then yes, you can do stuff like that. But it all really depends on like how it's going to be physically configured. Uh, yeah, well, I actually. I was actually the next, I was like, yeah. get super nerdy in this. But like when you're talking about high explosives versus low explosives for, I mean, for the purpose of this conversation, which we're going to talk about like the Hunley yes. application, which is a contained low explosive. Right. Um, it's really, it's not impossible or even that difficult for an expert to draw comparisons because we're like you calculating based on like relative explosive factor. So like weight. Yeah. plays in to what is a comparable explosion. Yes. But like when we talk about high explosives, we're configuring them in a shape or an application to maximize the effects of right. the blast to accomplish a desired goal. So it wouldn't be like with the Hunley, we put 200 pounds of black powder in a keg, hoping that it would cause a lot of structural damage to the target ship. Right. Right. But like they could have accomplished the same thing with like maybe a uh, couple, I mean, a couple ounces um, of high explosive shaped in a, in the right shape yes. at the end of the spar. Well, like sinking a bolt isn't that hard, right? You just yep. got to make a reasonable hole. Yep. So if they had wanted to do that, if they had had high explosives, which obviously didn't exist yep. in the 1860s, then yes, that's theoretically possible. Yep. So now you can get the same amount of damage from like an eight pound limpet mine, whereas when, they had 200 pounds of black powder. But. When did things like that start? Like, so I am going to draw a total blank. What is the... Um, the inverted, the, what is a shape charge? What is the law that it hinges on? You know what I'm talking about? Where you extrude, where like it's a base detonated cone shape charge that then because it's base detonated, it forms an extrusion. Yes. Um, what is that called? But it's like the molten projectile. Yes. I'm not sure what law you're talking about. Um, or I'm not sure where, where you're headed with the question. I should know. I, these are things that I've learned. But yeah. like talking about spalling and how EFPs work. And well, all that that's, kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. Spalling is a structural a effect. Yeah. So like that's one of the way the structures are primarily damaged. That's actually a really good tie back because that's how injury occurs in the lungs. So when that primary shock, when that shock wave hits you, it can move through most of the human body without doing a lot of damage, right? Like obviously you can get what we call full body disruption. Um, that's super bad. That's, <laughs> that's exactly what it sounds like except to a human being so that is a possibility but once you're below the threshold for full body disruption um the rest of your body handles shockwaves pretty uneventfully like if you're a non-lethal blast like you're not necessarily going to get a primary blast injury to your leg it's just going to go straight through but what happens in the chest wall you have lungs 
we need those for breathing. Um, so that shockwave hits you and it starts to move easily through your watery chest wall. We're mostly water, but then when it hits the gas pockets in your lungs, it slows down. So speed of sound and air, 343 meters per second, right? So when it hits your chest wall, it speeds up. So now it's going the speed of over the speed of sound of water. Speed of sound of water is 1540 meters per second. So this thing is now going through you faster than it was going through air, but then it hits your lungs. Your lungs speed of sound is 30 meters per second. So imagine your truck, your truck is going 1,540 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden you have to stop it to 30 miles an hour within like a few millimeters. That's going to go poorly. Um, so all of that energy and stuff has to be deposited somewhere. And what happens is spalling. And it's exactly the same concept as happens with structures where you end up getting like this kind of flexion response and the, the bowed part of the structure sort of sprays outward that happens inside the surface of the lungs. And so that's an area where there's tons and tons of blood vessels. And so the pulmonary injuries typically look like the lungs filling with blood. So the degree to which they fill with blood obviously is dependent on the degree of blast exposure, as well as like a number of physiological factors. Blast is one of those strange beasts where you can have someone drop dead next to someone who survives. Um, that's just like a thing. And, and so we give a percent chance that someone will die. We never say like, yes, you'll. How do you analyze that? Um, lots and lots and lots of data. So I didn't personally come up with those guidelines, especially in air blast. Is that a game of inches or is it literally just the way that like the human body responds differently? It depends on the blast and it's also how the human body responds differently. So I like to compare it to car crashes. Like if you have a car and you're going like 40 miles an hour would be kind of reasonable and you hit a tree, there are going to be people who survive that, but there are also going to be people who just happen to be hit the wrong way and die from it. Um, so in that range, you're going to have a percent chance of survival. So if you have 400 cars and you crash them into 400 trees at the exact same speed, you then calculate how many people survived and how many people died. A hundred dugs. hundred dugs. All survived. <laughs> All survived. <laughs> <laughs> but even like a hundred dugs, right? 20 dugs might be looking to the left and then that might cause more cervical spinal trauma if you hit your head the wrong way. And so, none of them would be attractive to Matthew McConaughey. Right. None of them would be attractive. But he might visit some of the injured ones out of pity. <laughs> so, he'd be like, he'd be like, we'll hey, get you he'd like hey man, you got a joint? He'd be, be like, like, I don't. He'd be hey like, Doug, it'd be a lot cooler. If I, hear, <laughs> I hear you recently learned how to clean yourself properly. <laughs> <laughs> so, All these dugs. Yeah. I get a year older and they just stay the same age. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good voice. I have been told I sound like Matthew McConaughey numerous times in my life. I've never been told I look like Matthew I'm gonna, McConaughey. I'm going to close my eyes and engage in self-pleasure while you continue the podcast. I'm really glad there's a dark table. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, that's the gist of primary, primary blast injury. And the lungs are the easiest thing to injure because they're bubbly. Like, there's a weird thing happening going on with the physics where they basically create a maze. Um, like even if you have a straight shot through air, you can still r run through air pretty quickly. But if you have to run through a maze, all of a sudden you're going to be a lot slower. So that's the same concept with like the way that the, the pressure wave starts to travel through your body. So lungs are really worst case scenario. Um, the next most in common or the next easiest thing to injure is going to be your lower gut, like especially your large intestine. 
you have gas pockets there. Um, you don't say. I don't know if you guys have ever <laughs> farted. <laughs> but, um, Not even once. Never so. in your life. No. But yes, that's... In Arabic school, they called me Abu Faswa, which <laughs> means father of farts. Does it really? <laughs> yeah, it's also insanely rude to fart in Arab culture. That's true. Oh. So essentially, everyone was telling me that I was the rudest person they'd ever met. <laughs> <laughs> Check out the bottoms of my feet, bitch. So, they so are you supposed to like husband. just excuse yourself and then do it privately? You have to pretend that it doesn't happen. So if we pretend it doesn't exist, then... Yes, but if it's loud, if flagellation is loud enough to be heard... Oh. What if you have a smallish dog with TBI and you blame the smallish dog every time? Well, I believe <laughs> that... Problem is in, dogs are, uh, yeah, those folks are not dogs big fans of dogs either. What? So you can't have dogs. Yeah, the uh, dog's not around to blame it on. I mean, this is the cutest dog in the world. And you know I'm credible because I have two dogs. It would have to be, so it would, like... it would have to be a child. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes, yeah, so you could bring a child around and blame them. Oh, okay. Which, uh, honestly... Convenient. Yeah, that so. works for me. <laughs> <laughs> I've only I've only brought this child around to blame for my flatulence. Yeah, <laughs> you're like I wasn't going to have children, but then this, I farted too many times. This street urchin <laughs> I have adopted. Yeah. So okay. So, okay. So, lower, so gut. lower gut injuries are a thing that can occur. Um, they're typically above the threshold for where you're again going to be having serious problems with your lungs first. But like for example, if people are wearing body armor that covers their lungs, you sometimes see lower gut injuries popping up. And those are... What kind of lower gut injuries? Like rupturing? I was just starting oh, that sorry. sentence. Sorry. No, sorry. that's cool. I, yeah. I enjoy your I enjoy the sound just, of your I'm voice. very curious. I'm glad. Yeah. So they can range anywhere from bruising, which is still painful. You have so many nerve endings in that area, right? Like Yes, I'm well aware. Constipation is uncomfortable because you can Again, something feel, I don't know about. You was, can feel... That was, that was a joke I was trying to make that no one humored yeah. me on. <laughs> No, we already, guys. we already assumed. <laughs> <laughs> we already assumed. Um, so yeah, you have a lot of nerve endings there. You know when something's gone awry. And so you can have anything from minor bruising, which will usually heal on its own, to um, ruptures and holes, which are something that will need surgical intervention. If for no other reason, then again, human feces is very unsanitary. You don't want that inside the rest of your body. And so they'll have to go in there and clean it out. So they like ultrasounding people after blast injuries just to check for that or what? Um, I mean, if you have an intestinal perforation, you know it. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) you are aware. I actually don't know. So I'm like, it sounds reasonable. Yeah. So you would typically um, do like an abdominal CT to look at the area and then go to a real doctor, which is not me. I do not treat people post-blast. I just like (laughs) compile their data, which is less helpful. (laughs) turn this toward a practical aspect for okay. some of the folks that will listen to this podcast. Yes. Um, we'll have a lot of, you know, breachers or engineers or people who deal with explosives and things that explode. Right? Yes. Whether it be rocket launchers or, or whatever. Um, how does one identify if one is dealing with the cumulative effects of okay. blast? Oh, so, isn't this preserved for the thing we were going to do? Okay. So Did we're... Save this? If we... I, I'll give like a couple sentences now. We can just keep it short. So okay. cumulative effects of blasts for TBI are very difficult to identify. That's why people have started doing like those computer tests and stuff and doing baselines. Um, some of the more common ways to tell that if you have a doctor, you can check for what's called saccades, um, which is like the vibrations in your eyes. So if you've ever seen, have you ever seen drunk people? Don't cops do um, that? I was going to say yes. that happens during a sobriety yes. test. So I wouldn't know. The, I wouldn't know either. Right. So that, that is, that is 
um, that is usually a sign of a more severe blast. Like a mo- I would call a moderate blast trauma. Um, it's still non-lethal. You still have fully functional life, but like if you're worried about it, um, that is one of the signs of cumulative blast trauma. Um, you can also, a lot of the other symptoms that they list are very difficult because the symptoms between TBI and PTSD have a lot of crossover, but they have different treatments. And so like, if you're genuinely concerned that you have last TBI, um, please like go see your actual medical doctor. This leads us back to Jeff Dardia podcast where exactly. we have systems in place. If you're, if you feel like that's a real thing. Yeah. Like it's just, and I mean, people are doing a really good job of destigmatizing it, but it's not something that we can diagnose unidirectionally via podcast. Right. Like, it's a problem and they want to know about it and they can give you advice. I just think, I mean, just getting the information out. And I know yeah. we're going to do that on a subsequent podcast yeah. specifically with you. Um, but, you know, it's become a, an issue for it me. It is an issue. Yes. Um, I yeah. they put a colander on my head with wires and stuff. And <laughs> I like that <laughs> description. There's a whole, a whole uh, test. You mean an EEG? Then he, I don't know, but they gave me he, pictures <laughs> of my brain. Then yeah. he manifested a very hot Australian chick who made him cool with all his, <laughs> they were like, all the people at his high they school. They were like, <laughs> stop thinking about porn. And they, <laughs> they turned his brother into a frog. Right. So there are, symptoms, right now. there are symptoms of last You never watched Weird Science? Oh, yeah, I did. Yeah, where they put the... I'm old under- enough to have seen it they, in the theater. They put the underwear on their head, and then they manifested the super hot totally. chair. Totally. Kelly LeBrock. Yep, Kelly LeBrock. She is not hot anymore. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Time happens to us all, though. I'm not judging. It's just I don't understand thing. how... Some birthday, of us dude. never started out hot. It's fine. M- Michael like, Douglas gets throat cancer. He looks like literally a piece of shoe leather, and he blames it on eating too much pussy. And <laughs> and then, like, like Kelly LeBrock, who is... Like the height of everything sexual gains five years and looks like she's literally the crypt keeper. Mm. I don't understand. I just know as I was riding up here today, my mother was saying, I can't wait to listen to your podcast. And all I Doug now is no, no, Doug we need like the PG version. I tell my parents all the time not to listen to anything I say on podcasts. Yeah. Now, I've also realized that there's double fallout because I speak my mind on this thing, but I'm not always, it's, my mind isn't always made up. <laughs> yeah. Or even present. Yeah. And other, Sometimes you're just making words. <laughs> other people listen to the podcast and then I'm held accountable for the things that I say Imagine. sometimes. And they're like, yeah. do you know, you said this. And I'm like, well. I have no recollection first of First of all, I don't remember <laughs> like, saying that, but it sounds like me. Yeah. Secondly, I feel differently today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll just blame it on the one beer that you've had today to celebrate your birthday. Yeah. You know, I'm about you, to have a that, second one. That you're under the influence. It's and, a Miller High Life. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Blast TBI. Yes. Uh, very quick version. So some of the more common symptoms are things like attentional problems, which is obviously very hmm. relevant to the last two minutes. So um, <laughs> some of the more common crossover with like ADHD symptoms can be a symptom of TBI. Um, things like memory loss and forgetting words are commonly listed, but also one of the major confounders there is those are really normal for aging. So if someone's like, oh man, I've been 20 years as a breacher and now I can't remember where my car keys are, that might also be because you are now 40. Um, so like Yeah, that, I mean, that's a very yeah, that's present very reality real. in so, my life. Right. No, like I, I recognize that that sucks because I don't want to get older either. But BC um, alternative. Yeah, BC alternative. It's any good any above ground is a good day. So upright and above ground. Right. So it's not unless you're having like functional problems with blast TBI, in general, once you stop getting blown up, they stop progressing. And that I think is really important information for people. 
um, because there's a lot of misinformation happening with football and TBIs from football. And then a lot of what's happening in the media is not consistent with science. So, but we're going to get to that. That's going to be a whole separate episode, but yeah. So yes, we're going to bash Will Smith again. Yeah. yeah. No, we thinking. will not talk about, I have no problems. I love Will Smith. I just didn't love that film. He was a lovely genie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was a lovely genie. I thought he did pretty good. Never had a friend like him. Great in post-apocalyptic I, New York as well. Uh, yeah, I saw that one. I didn't see the genie one. I sent Nick to see that movie with another lady. Wait, spe- I was like, speaking I about <laughs> post-apocalyptic New York, did you ever listen to Aaron's like bitter podcast about how terrible that movie was compared to the actual book? No. No. Have you, have you read the book? Is that a Philip K. Dick book? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yes. Where like the like it's a short story and the outcome of the story is literally like perfect for a movie and yet Hollywood still had to have it be this weird outcome. But like no, Will Smith is the monster. He is the last human and all the monsters are the normal people and that they sleep during the day and he's killing them, he's murdering them. They catch him oh. and yeah. they put him on display at a zoo. He's he is the legend. That's the they they if you watch the DVD special features. Oh, do they have that in there? They do not go to the full ending where he's like in the zoo, but they do have him having that epiphany and recognizing that that is what's happening. Yeah, but they're not really monsters, he is. That's yeah. fabulous. Yeah. Yeah. He so. was also not the first selection for that part, correct? Was he? I yeah. can't watch that movie ever since the Is dog. Is it Tom Hardy? I don't like when the dog <laughs> <No>. dies. <laughs> <laughs> Would be if I was making it. <laughs> um, can't remember who it was. That was not Thanks for weighing well, in. Well, well, sorry, and I don't want to seem racist by saying another. Uh, yeah, on radio, people can't radio, see your yeah. ambiguous ethnic blend. Yeah. <laughs> we assure you, no one knows where he comes from, so apparently he can say whatever bigoted thing he wants. Yeah, I don't he think that's claims, how that works. He claims that it makes me very uncomfortable. I don't um, know it was, it was, it was, <laughs> when joking. Yeah, it, it was makes me really probably uncomfortable. Eddie Murphy or Samuel. <laughs> but he Jackson. does think that. See, when you say it like that, when you preface it by saying "what I'm going to say is racist," <laughs> then you list a couple of black actors. I would never even thought it was racist yeah, until never. you said you Guys. until you looked over your shoulder like a guilty white man. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> To try and bring that back to center, totally side note, has anybody else watched Chappelle's 846? No. Is I've heard the, it's really good. I thought it was one? the most incredible thing I've seen in I've a long time. I've seen a piece yeah, of I've it. I've heard it's really good. I have not. I mean, there are parts of it that made me uncomfortable because he's talking about uh, that Chris Dorner guy, you know, but uh, um, obviously... A, Which one was Chris Dorner? He murdered a number of police officers and family members uh, oh. in L.A. But with all that said, mm-hmm. I thought 846 was one of the most incredible... Uh, things I've seen in a long time, and I'm telling everyone to Is watch Is that on that. Netflix? Yes. Oh, it's only like 22 minutes. No, it's on YouTube. It's only like 22 minutes okay. long, um, and it's not really funny funny. It's just something I think everybody ought to watch right now. Yeah, I love Dave Chappelle. I do, too. After he came back from Africa, I went to see him do stand-up, and he was an hour and a half late to the stage because he was watching some sort of, like, police show and he didn't want to stop watching it in his green room but then he just got up there and talked for literally three and a half hours and it was unbelievable parts of it were hilarious and parts of it were just like someone getting up on a stage and burying their soul in a way that was That's still really engaging. Yeah. There's very little of it. You're it was laugh. just amazing to listen to him speak because he was articulating some of the abstract 
kind of racist things that happened to him after Chappelle's show and why he went to Africa. Like he was articulating them publicly. Why situational comedy appealed to racists. <laughs> like where it's like, hey man, we're trying right. to do a parody. Yeah, yeah. you guys are totally missing. But it was he people were missing the parody and um yeah he just talked about well, that. So and it was still it was really amazing to listen to. That segues me to a question I have for you. Yes. In your book. Okay. Has it proven in the current time that we find ourselves in? You wrote your book, then COVID happened, now this is here or you released your book in right the middle about, of COVID. At, yeah, in the yeah. really in the middle of COVID. Turns out, middle of a pandemic, uh, not a good time to talk about the Civil War. We are now having, uh, I, I don't know I mean, how it's to perfect characterize time to talk it. about the Civil War, really. Now yeah. it is. It has transitioned to a good time to talk about the Civil War. Well, but then that's what I want my to book, ask Yeah, book was out early April, so has no one it, was talking about it then. Y- you did a really good job of dealing with what I think are contentious topics and what I think a lot of people are either evolving or growing or changing on or Thank what you. have you. Um, and, and as I wrote in the review for, for Garden and Gun, you, you dealt with, you know, the most ugly factor of the Civil War mm-hmm. effectively and, and a- aggressively without making it the mainstay of the book because it's not right. the mainstay. Right. Of the book. It's mostly like, I mean, there's a good dose of history in there, but it's largely trying to explain the science of explosions. I mean, Which we is, could really classify most of the Civil War as desperate people doing dumb shit. Yeah. I think that's a fair characterization. I mean, um, I, 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 so so we were talking earlier before we started the show about you know how very careful you have to be in America these days, and now you've written a book about what is it at the core of that incredibly contentious moment that yes. we're having right now. Mm-hmm. Um, has there been any backlash, or have you felt anybody who didn't understand the way you were uh, approaching it, or was not, mad at you for dealing with it? Um, not from th- not from that perspective yet. But so far, I mean, my book is still like, I'm pretty small potatoes, right? You know, I, I released a Civil War book. Well, we're going to change that. You're yeah. on the Softly podcast. <laughs> now I'm on Softly podcast. Good. No, I mean, I'm not complaining. I'm just like, I'm no I'm no Clive Cussler. So the volume of mail that I've been getting has been overwhelmingly from veterans, which is kind of me the whole experience of releasing a book worthwhile, even though it's not been like a huge fanfare type of deal mm-hmm. um, because I've got to hear a lot of submarine stories from old timers, which I love. Like anyone can email me anytime with submarine stories. I'm super I don't, into that. I feel like people <laughs> that are, I feel like submariners are all lunatics. <laughs> I'm a little crazy too, Doug. No, I don't no. know if you've noticed. <laughs> well, There's... people can hear in your voice right there. <laughs> yeah. Again, um, I second that we've met. <laughs> like... Hi, I'm Rachel over eager girlfriend. I was about to yeah. say, I was <laughs> <having> the over. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, if they would have let me on submarines, I would have like chewed my way through the conning tower. So um, too many X chromosomes. But uh, yeah, anyway, so that, that's been the majority of the response that I've gotten is, is from people who have appreciated those aspects of the book. There have been a couple people who have mentioned, like you mentioned, like, hey, thanks for dealing with this in an appropriate way. Um, that was actually something that I worked really hard on. So I'm glad it came across. One of the things when you are a Civil War historian is even when you want to be as egalitarian as possible, the majority of the people leaving records were rich white men. And so just by virtue of the fact that those are the documents that have survived, a lot of the times that's really all you have the material to talk about is their perspective. So for this book, um, I did a ton of digging. So there's, there's like four paragraphs about these men with the last name Tedeman who were freed from a plantation outside Charleston. Those four paragraphs 
took more time to research than any other part of the whole book, just because researching um, enslaved people or even free black people in the deep South during that time period is, is it's, it's needle in a haystack search for documents. And so that was actually, but that was so important to me to not write another civil war book that pretended that only rich white men existed. Um, is, I, I thought that was is, really cool. Is Thank that you. why the Civil War had nothing but quotes from Oliver Wendell Holmes <laughs> nonstop? <laughs> the only man to keep a diary in the entire yeah. Civil War. Yeah, no, that's actually like that's that's it. It's it's Oliver Wendell Holmes. Edmund Ruffin wrote like four thousand pages in his diary, um, so he's obviously really good as a resource. Which is crazy to think about because they didn't have phones, they didn't have anything, like, and they had all the downtime that we have. As like from, I mean, obviously their days were shorter because they didn't yeah. have electricity, right? Yeah. But like they still dealt with the same vagaries soldiers deal with, which is a lot of like sitting around and waiting, especially like the Army of the Potomac, mm-hmm. which that's all they ever did was <laughs> sit around and wait. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> It was a but, lot of that. But yeah, no, that, that I think is why... A few you, casual invasions. And like, meanwhile, in the South, everyone's just having bloody diarrhea. Yeah, there's just so much diarrhea everywhere. But that was, that was really important to me because I think that that's whitewashing history is kind of going to be the next version of racism, right? Obviously we go through versions and racism has been part of our country's history since the beginning. Um, and for a while it was statues and now the statues are coming down, but trying to uncover the histories that were buried because the people who very much existed and were part of the story were not allowed to keep their own written records or it was illegal for them to learn to read and write or, um, they didn't have the resources to spend money on paper, like stuff like that. Or it does call into question, though, the veracity of oral tradition. Like I know In that. Way. I mean, like we respect oral tradition mm. be- because there are so many cultures we want to research that only have oral tradition. Right. And then you're going, well, when the oral tradition con- like conflicts right. with the things that other people have written down. Right. Like, where do we draw the line on what the past looks like? Exactly. Like I was so talking... I, it's that, but that's, I mean, that conflict occurs all the time with history. Like, it's not just oral tradition. You can have contemporary written records that completely disagree. Well, history person... is not as certain as we Well, there think are people that disagree with your scientific conclusions yeah. about what happened to the Hunley, right? Yeah, but that's, I think, for different reasons. Um, I don't think they disagree with me on the grounds of science. I think they disagree with me on the sounds grounds of wanting to have figured it out themselves. Um, so to tie back that in, because we never drew that line, when you had those skeletons in the submarine, there are no skeletal trauma, right? Because primary blast waves can pass through people pretty easily. That's consistent with a primary injury. Um, if you had something that only injured their lungs and they had an immediate pulmonary fatality, the lungs are not surviving 150 years in salt water. Um, but if you have that pulmonary trauma, that is what it looks like. So a lot of times with primary blast trauma, and you see this in accounts from World War One and World War II all the time, you have people who have absolutely zero external injury. They've just fallen over. Um, and some of them will have like bloody froth around their mouth and lips. That's indicating that they maybe survived for a few minutes afterwards and they were still breathing. So they circulated some of that blood. But um, aside from that, they will not have moved. And so that for me was a huge red flag with the Hunley that maybe we were looking at this case of blast trauma that was occurring in a really unusual way because it's not typical for blasts to transmit inside structures 
enough to cause damage. So like they can, there's scientific data of blast traveling inside bomb suits of blast traveling inside armor vehicles. It's just that like, it's usually this little tiny cute squidge of a pressure trace. That's really never going to hurt anybody. Right. It's just a little, little, little bump or vibration. But in well, this typically, case, then the blast get big enough to cause that kind of a problem in modern vehicles. There's a hull rupture or something, right. which then causes crazy overpressure. So we're not actually worried about primary anymore. anymore. Right. Exactly. It's kind of like my attitude towards nuclear weaponry. Um, this is actually something my advisor used to say. He's like, we don't study nuclear blasts because by the time people are dropping nukes on America, nobody gives a crap about our research. So, um, and I think that's a very valid point. So that's a similar thing. Like once you have a case where something is that large, then it's no longer, that's no longer your primary concern. You're going to be dealing with other stuff. Yeah. So, but in this case, the water has protected them from any shrapnel as has their hull of their boat, but they're dealing with this extremely thin walled structure that they made at home and they have 200 pounds of black powder on a narwhal tusk that it's only what 16 feet long the you said? whole t- thing was 16 feet long and it was on a downward angle so it was actually closer to them than that and i mean and we talked about it uh before but it's worth mentioning like i mean the minimum safe distance for that on in open ground yeah. is still like 300 meters like you, 200 i mean close probably i mean i don't think it's a 300 meter full for 200 pounds of black powder. I hadn't done the math. but I've, I would have to sit down. And I haven't done in-air stuff in quite some but time. But that's a significant... But 200 was, pounds under water? Yeah. Water transmits better than air. You said that in the last podcast yes. we talked about. It. I had And I had no idea that because water did that. Because mm-hmm. so it's denser. So it's like, think about whale sounds. So whale sounds can go for miles. So the same thing like blasts. I have examples of people being injured from underwater blasts from two miles away, which is actually where the safety standard for evacuation comes from. I mean, granted, that was an array... It was in a raid charge of 10,000 pounds of TNT. Um, so that was pretty serious. But um, Not small. Yeah, he it, he was still like otherwise. And this was a scientist who did it to himself on purpose because he was like, let's see what this feels like. But um, yeah, good times. Anyway. That it's being like the said, Gigi Allen so of like, underwater scientists. <laughs> yeah. Hypothetically, then, you have 200 pounds of explosives going off on the hull of the ship. Yeah. The blast wave is propagating through water. Mm-hmm. very quickly because the yes. water's dense and transmits the pressure more effectively than air. Right. But then it's hitting a hard body, the ship. Yeah. And then accelerate, I mean, or decelerating in the air. Is that how it's working? It slows down in the air, but when it enter, it can enter the ship. So just like sound can enter. And the enter, ship we're talking about at this point is the Hunley. The Hunley, the boat, technically the boat. I don't want to get angry submariner no, emails. No, no. So when we, when we, when we air gap things, <laughs> it's right? A boat. Like if I'm trying to protect a structure from a blast yeah. subterranean, I just dig a trench. Right. And trenching will cause that air gap will cause right. a deflection of the blast for the structure. But I mean, obviously, if there was a person in that trench, would they absorb that? Maybe that's a complicated scenario because okay. you're going to get like echoes in the trench and it can also vent to the top. So uh, uh, we could, so, we could draw some diagrams so and un- talk about it more. Is the problem with the Hunley that it was unvented? Yes. If it had been open to the top, they probably would not have died because you get the echo chamber effect, not talking about Facebook, but the, literally the same thing happens with blasts. So if you have a blast going off, do you want to be in a small enclosed area with it or do you want to be in an open field where it can vent safely? 
like the small enclosed area, you increase your chances of injury. So this is, this is happening. Um, this has happened a lot in bus bombings. So there have been enough, unfortunately, civilian bus bombings that scientists, not me, have been able to compare them to similar civilian terrorist explosions that occurred in open areas. And the bus bombings have much higher fatality rates. Well, they're contained. Well, yeah. exactly, because they're contained. So, like, you'll blow out the windows, but in the bus bombings, you'll get pulmonary primary blast injuries, whereas it's rare to see those in an open environment. In an open air, almost always the suicide bomber is the only one to get fully popped. I mean, everybody else just kind of catches yes. a little bit. They're typically going for like a shrapnel effect there because yep. open air really, really gives you, especially in air, the waveform dies down really quickly. So you have to be very close to it. Um, in well, order and the way to they get... strap belts on too, like you get a weird like vertical, like a uh, blast wave distribution. So mm. like heads pop off and interesting. Yeah. It's, it, it, you yeah get I just, see. just wrote a short story about a suicide bombing based oh, on the you? thing that a good buddy of mine said, uh, Nick Shalcross said to me, we we're in, sitting in Afghanistan, just kind of talking one time and Nick dealt with a whole bunch of them in Baghdad. I did a lot of post blast stuff, Same which thing. was really weird to me because when you think about bombs going off, you're like, Oh man, that dude's fucked. Right? Like you remember when we, when you go through training and they're always like, Hey man, loop your deck cord back on your initiators so that people don't know that you've been here. Cause the deck cord will blow the initiators up. And I'm they, like, I don't trust officers to do that. Cool. I, I tell <laughs> you to do that yeah. and hope you do it. Right, right. But, but I mean, the reality is it doesn't matter if I put deck cord on it or not. If somebody wants to find an M81 initiator in the blast that I engineered. Yes. They're going to know that U.S. forces yes. were there. The same way that like when a suicide bomber puts together a, what ostensibly is a large suicide bomb with shrapnel and a cell phone initiator. When yeah. it goes off, like come in there and set up a four square quadrant and just start picking up cell phone parts and I mean like it's like you're, you'd be shocked how much stuff survives yeah the well, that was the thing that my buddy Nick said he's heads and genitals always heads and genitals interesting 100% intact mm -hmm. a surprised look on the face all the time yeah <gasps> what did I do <laughs> <laughs> yep this wasn't near as cool as I thought it was gonna be <laughs> always a surprise look always a surprise look but the clothes are usually intact like you can find I mean like wallets seem to be I mean it's just like it's crazy you're like what yeah. I thought that this explosion was actually gonna do I mean, it obviously killed the guy. Yeah, <laughs> but it does less it damage. It's it's a psychological thing, like the Hunley. Like, yeah. hey, were we really going to stop shipping right. or blockade of Charleston Harbor? That was their goal. They were trying to inspire psychological terror because they think if we have a weapon, the same thing with landmines. They're like, if we have a weapon that they can't see coming, this will balance out the fact that we don't have a navy, really. So. Maybe, yeah, or not. Seems I mean, people, times. people were afraid of it, weapon. but they didn't, they thought the union would just go home. That it's did also not occur. super interesting to yeah. me that, so I was looking and like when we were talking about um, like shape charge stuff, which yeah. isn't necessarily about um, the plug aspect that we were talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, the Monroe effect is the inversion, right? That causes a jet. Okay. The jet is the issue, not the, you know, I've the not done a lot of shape charge work. Well, it's, I was actually, I looked and. Again, seven, I work with people. 1795 so like, or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's, I, it might be interesting because. No, no, no I'd love to. I'm just saying the, my background is mostly focused on humans and like you don't necessarily stick a shape charge on a human. Well, so, like, so the effects yeah. of a human in containment. Yes. That's, I guess, the thing with the shape charge is that the desired effect of a shape charge is to penetrate armor mm -hmm. right right thicker armor and what affects that 
has inside of a container, which is not the Hunley because it was not a breached hull or whatever else. Correct. But it's weird to me to think that, so these shaped, like the Monroe effect was discovered in relation to explosives for mining in like 1798. Cool. So like... Yeah. A full 60 years earlier. They were a lot more savvy about blast physics than I would have given them credit for at the beginning of their project. But you'd have like, think... Like, that Gabriel Rains knew his stuff. Well, you would have think that Gabriel Rains, who's a chemistry guy, right? Um, George Washington George... was a chemistry guy. Okay. I forget exactly what Gabriel's background was. He, I think he was just, like, army from day one. But, but I'm still, not 100% sure. They're still letting these guys deal in bulk charges when they had nitroglycerin and other things that they could have used to create like a shaped charge that's true but they were also dealing with i mean just from my experiences making charges underwater is harder (laughs) um it's harder especially when you're working with 1860s technology because waterproofing becomes extremely expensive and so anytime you add a layer of complexity to something you you multiply the odds that it's not going to work um, so I have to wonder if that was a factor because that was definitely a factor for me when we were doing our experiments with the live charges. Hmm. Well, I'm just thinking about it as a, yeah, as a committed demo man. I'm like, I mean, wow. we can go back to the pond. Let's do it. I bet, I bet we could <laughs> design, be awesome. Yeah. We could design a submarine that would sink the ship without causing significant damage to the people inside using 1860s technology. Yeah. And we can then point to the fact that an inbred country of lost cause losers is really <laughs> not worth worshiping. Um, I, ooh, I don't want to characterize it. I grew like, up in Kirby Smithham, so I can talk about okay. it like that because the Texas isn't really part of that. Yeah. We had fresh this blood. Thing. I, I just, for me personally, like I've had a lot of family members on the wrong side of wars. Um, you know, like my family is from the deep South. My dad's from Brevard, North Carolina. My um, we're, we're Germans too, so my, I got that yeah, going my for me. grandpa came to this country because he fought for the Italians um, and was taken as a POW in Ethiopia. And then he, he was like, "What in Ethiopia? <laughs> in Northern Africa yep. somewhere?" Yeah, he was one of only two to survive out of like thirty-two or thirty-five. Wow. Yeah, it was crazy. He would well, not well, talk. He, yeah, it, it was. You don't ask grandpa about that, but. Um, <laughs> We never got the story, um, which is fair. But anyway, so it's just like, for me, um, it's important to separate the individual people from the cause. So obviously we can sit here and we can talk about how much we abhor or abhor the lost cause theory or the lost cause fable, as well as like the actual secession because of slavery, which is 100% what the reason was. Yeah, it's um, right there in the article of secession. Right. They wrote it down. It's very clear. Political marginalization don't still matters. Um, don't will, at me. I will at everyone in this conversation yes. because I have to be people who email me, yeah, People who email me to contest that it was about slavery will get sent a reading list um, before the conversation can continue. But like for me, it's also, it was, it's important to remember it was a war with a draft. So there were a lot of people there who were there for a diverse variety of reasons. And some of them, yes, were hardcore slavery preservationists, but some of them were just like, drafted or some of them just didn't have another job that they could do and were just trying to feed themselves. So, um, you know, like people in the Hunley, a lot of the people in the Hunley, there are eight guys in there, four of them, I think I would fact check that number, but about half of them were from Europe. These were not Southerners. Um, only like two of them. So you think they were doing it for the paycheck? I think they were, they were getting paid more. Um, so they were getting paid more and also they were getting bombed every night anyway. 
So like if you're in a situation where everyone's dying around you of yellow fever and cholera and you're literally getting bombed every night for months on end and then you're offered a 30% pay raise to go crank this handle inside this boat and they're like, hey, it might end the war slash stop you from getting bombed every night. Yeah, why not? Why not? Like it, it starts to make a lot more sense as to why they would be willing to take that risk, especially most of them had already been there for four years. Like most of these guys had been there from the beginning. So, um, but like some of them were Germans. Uh, at least two of them were Germans because. And this is also worth noting when we talked about looking at things through a 21st century lens. We think about Germans as the engineers of the finest driving machines ever yeah. and guilty participants in the Holocaust. <laughs> but at that time, we thought about Germans as scum that we didn't want in our country. Yeah. A bunch of immigrants that were ruining yeah. things and didn't speak English. So they were immigrants, and because they were immigrants, they were exempted from the Confederate draft. And so what they were, and people theorize now that that was done on purpose to allow a pool, allow a pool of substitutes. Because wealthy Confederate, wealthy people from the Confederate States, if they Bought. got drafted, yeah, they could buy a substitute. So you brought your German with you to <laughs> the recruiting station and you're like i got this guy <laughs> and they give him a medical exam and then he takes your place sure was not rudimentary at all one of the main questions is the do you have enough teeth to eat what we're gonna feed you like Which no joke maybe so, questionable with heart attack yeah so that was a major reason for people getting exempted but um fabulous yeah. yeah, I mean... So one of the guys in the Hunley, Johan Carlson, was a substitute. He was there because some wealthy German had, like, paid paid him to take this place. Really? Yeah. A wealthy Southerner, rather? Wealthy it's, Southerner. That's what I meant. He a, was Danish. Sorry. It's a, he such spoke a German. weird... Like, the whole concept. I, I, again, for just the sake of, like, sanity in our current conversation about everything going on socially, like... Clearly, everyone's opinions on, like, I'm never going to say that the idea of owning another person is acceptable. Like, we've always known that this is something that's troublesome, but also, like, we were all raised, well, I don't know, I assume everyone in this room was raised on the Judeo-Christian principles of the Old and New Testament, <laughs> in which... Slavery is. Like I like how you're looking at the Nick, norm. I don't know. The Nick, ambiguous Nick, one. Are you a, are you a Buddhist? <laughs> no, I was raised Roman Catholic. So, there you go. so slavery is literally a staple of the Bible. Like every story right. is about someone who was a slave or in some form of indentured servanthood. So it's like not weird to think that while we have a more advanced understanding because we have the internet and we all are like, wow, that was a really bad thing, <laughs> and like we have like this global picture of it, it's still going on. And so like to talk about we can't frame their understanding of things like half these people weren't able to read the Bible. They were literally told yeah. what the book said and yeah. they were like, Hey, by the way, you got to go to church every Sunday. You got to live your life by these rules and you can't read the book. Does that sound particularly like any group of people that are currently on the planet? <laughs> like a few. You well, know? It's just hard. It's yeah. It's just difficult. Because you know, when we look a back lot of, a lot of people, People genuinely think that they're doing what's best. Like even now, oh, yeah. people genuinely, even at the time, one of the most illuminating experiences for me of the last seven years, which is how long I've been working on this project to bring the book out, was reading the diary of Edmund Ruffin, which like, if you decide to do that, prepare yourself some cocktails first. Um, it's like <laughs> 4,000 pages 
half of which are some of the most insanely racist stuff I've ever read in my life. But he was, so he was one of the architects of the secession. So it was really, he was one of the people who was pushing for it. He was 67 at the time. So he was really too old to be considered the target population they were recruiting for the military. But he still like insisted they give him a uniform anyway. And he had like portraits taking in his uniform and he's credited with um, firing one of the first shots at Fort Sumter because he was like given credit for being one of the people to push for a secession. But he very clearly explains in his diary what his thought process is. And he's extremely clear. He's like, I love black people. I'm not a racist. I'm not but. a racist. He's like, I'm just aware that they're really dumb inherently. And so they either need to be enslaved or sent back to Africa. Like having all these really dumb people just roaming around free will be chaos and catastrophe for everyone. They need to go back to the jungle where they came from. Obviously. Yeah. Again, like I he, mean, I believe that he some wrote 4,000 words. So he expounded some, upon that at length. Some but, of those sentiments were, in, were, also mirrored by Lincoln himself, which is also <laughs> weird to me when we think about like we've idolized Lincoln for all this time as the great emancipator. But the reality is everyone's understanding of race relations at that right. time was stilted because people were fucking stupid. Right. And they were everyone, uneducated. Everyone had um, race relations information that was very, very biased yeah. because of the environment that they were and in. And again, it goes back to what we talked but about again, before. Is we well, hate people that don't look like us right. or weren't raised like us or don't have the same understanding of things as us. And now we can fight with them but on I, Facebook. I, I think if we're trying but, to... Yeah, what I'm saying is what's interesting about that is his conversation and his arguments that he wrote down in his diary very much parallel what a lot of people even say today where they're like, I'm not racist, but, but, here, but. here are the assumptions I've used to form my worldview about other races. And the, he never makes that connection that he could be wrong about black people or that they might not be as inherently stupid as he clearly thinks they are and Likely, says they are. you couldn't get him to admit that he was potentially wrong about anything. No, it's very possible. <laughs> the world um, according to Garp. Yeah, he wrote, he wrote multiple Facebook novels in the form of his <laughs> diary, but there was no responding. So like, how could we convince him he was wrong? Like we do today and have productive Facebook conversations all the time with people like, I recall yeah. the beginning of this podcast. You said that sarcasm was your, uh, yes, that one, <laughs> that one was sarcasm. <laughs> that was pretty good. No one has ever changed their mind because of an internet argument. I mean, I do routinely people present like that. I think that Facebook is an ideal platform for non-invective, like rational discussion. The problem is that because we're all motivated by so much emotion about things that we hold dear in our hearts, yeah. that it's impossible to just engage in a grounded conversation where I disagree with someone vehemently, they make rational points and cite information. And I say, I don't agree with you wholeheartedly. Like the, the total argument you're making, I do not agree with, but there were definitely some things in there that changed my mind on different issues. And while I will not admit that I like thin pancakes in this conversation, <laughs> I, I will absolutely <laughs> order crepes tomorrow when I go to breakfast and see go. if I like them. Counterpoint, they come with Nutella. Yeah, no, I've heard. So <laughs> rumors. Yeah, no, I think it's a good, if you know the other person, I think you can have productive conversations, Ooh. but man, it's stretching it now too, right? I'm also people you know like, in real life, like they hate. They're like literally wanting yeah. to kill each other. Because uh, some people are starting to show their their yeah. their roughing colors. Yeah. Right. I mean, and and the very mo anytime you hear somebody predicate a sentence with "I'm not racist, but right. it's always going to be it's going to be insanely racist." Right. Whatever the next thing they're going to say. Is. Right. And, and the best part is that it is universally they are 
oblivious to the, the fact that the thing that they're that saying seems is more, more true. Right. And to say like people are like, well, those people are terrible, and I'm like. I'm not sure they're terrible. Like oblivious doesn't make you terrible. It just makes you oblivious. Right. And so I think how it's do we also educate people to be not oblivious to the fact that what they're yeah. saying is offensive to or, or couching your, your but also like replying with you're racist is also not going to change their minds. No. Like even though they're, they're operating based on racially biased assumptions that may be stuff they've picked up externally and they might be open to like, New well, information. That's another reason I was, but, I was yeah. kind of pushing that whole Chappelle thing mm-hmm. is that in the, the words I use it are appropriately uncomfortable, right? So I'm a yeah. 47 year old straight white guy yeah. with a evident accent, yeah, um, who grew up in the deep south. I prefer the term cisgendered male. Thank you. Okay, I'm a <laughs> cisgendered male. Actually, it's uh, cishet. Oh, really? Is that gender heterosexual? What if I'm queer? Except for Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Asterisk. (laughs) (laughs) Or Tom Hardy. Yeah, or Tom (laughs) Hardy. But, you know, as I say, it made me appropriately uncomfortable. But what was so great for me in watching that was, you know, I I live with a, a... Civil, my wife civil, does civil rights work. I mean, mm-hmm. that's not her full-time job anymore, but it has been in the past. That's been a good education for me. The people I've gotten to know through her have been a good education for me. You know, um, uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've learned a lot. I've gotten a lot out of it. But what I really got out of uh, that whole thing was, as ev- or applicable to now, was he said something along the lines of, you know, this is the streets talking. Mm-hmm. How do you expect these things to happen and this not to happen? How do you yeah. expect the words you use, the wrath of God? Yeah. How do you expect the wrath of God not to come? And I think we're in a time now where, you know, there's always going to be corrections and then there's going to be overcorrections. Um, well, I think there's also, uh, yeah, there, there are also other elements as well of people having months of anxiety contributing to. I think you're absolutely right. What is clearly justified complaints. But months of anxiety never makes feel people feel better about stuff. I, um, I think that's a hundred percent true. It's yeah. just this has all been really. Uh, I don't know what the right word is anymore. So I, I mostly am just shutting up and listening. I feel yeah. like this is highlighting the fact that we as a. So I'm going to say some things that sound super fucking old right now. Uh-oh. And I'm like, Uh-oh. no, I mean, not necessarily. <laughs> I this, I don't think what I'm going to say is racist. I just think it's curmudgeonly, okay. <laughs> which is to say that <laughs> like in general, our society is weak as fuck. Like we're super soft. We are. We're all super privileged, like regardless of our socioeconomic position, we live in a place where generally we have access to a lot of things that people haven't had before us. We have a very easy life, even if we're like looking for food, like our concerns are about paying bills, much less about survival. So even downwardly mobile people who don't have a lot of resources to be like to, to see improvement in their lives still have a pretty sedentary easy, not work-oriented life, and having your normal social flow within that sedentary process disrupted and being told to like stay even more sedentary and isolated and not connected with people and having a chance to be with your thoughts and develop feelings about the things that previously you didn't have to deal with has left a lot of people who are generally like they're, they have not been exposed to stress inoculation in any capacity. Like, they don't have a capacity for anxiety or stress. I think everyone normalizes their maximum stress to what they personally have experienced. 100%. So, the cup is only yeah. so big, right? Right. But like, you can build the, you can, you, your cup can get bigger 
if you're continually like you're filling it up and right. like letting it go. When I first started working, the the thing that Alan, the story I always think about is when I first started working at a hyperbaric chamber. So I was working, there's a hy- volunteer run hyperbaric chamber on the unpopulated end of Catalina Island, which is like 23 miles off the coast of Southern California. Mm-hmm. And I discovered that they'd let me live there if I was just on call all the do you time. Get to go, do you get to go all the wine mixers? Um, that's not a real thing, but um, <laughs> sorry to disappoint. <laughs> But no, it was really lovely because I, you know, living on the unpopulated end of a desert island is actually really compatible with my natural hermit personality. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, I don't have any problems with lockdowns. As There's long a lot. So go to the movie theaters by myself. But, um, so anyway, there was this incident there where three people wanted to meet. And so like we just went and met in the literal one conference room, meeting room, because there aren't that many buildings. Right. And then apparently once in the blue moon that this happened, someone else had signed up for that room on the sign-up sheet I didn't even know existed. So they showed up and they were like, oh, hey, we had this room reserved. And I was like, cool. And so the three of us just left and then talked outside instead. And there were so many communications about this. Like people were so stressed about this. Can't believe those people double booked the (laughs) the room. People were so stressed. It wasn't even, yeah. So to me, that's always been the best example of people normalizing their stress when you live on a desert island and there's very little to be worried about um every community you're still going to be group. maximally worried <laughs> about like say, whatever our HOA little... is exceedingly uptight right now because the pool is not open because the yeah. insurance company has said they will not indemnify us against covid outbreaks at the pool and <sighs> so the hoa board is erring on the side of caution and not opening the pool and people are losing their minds yeah yeah. But just, I mean, let's be like. So to be clear, I'm not talking about necessarily like the race-related cause of this protest. I'm just agreeing no, with your no, point no, no, about no. humanity. Well, in general. But I don't think that I'm not <laughs> saying that specifically. I don't think that like, in, <laughs> like I don't think that the race-related nature <clears throat> of the protest is even necessarily what has caused so much consternation. This is why you see so many Karens concerned with like. I don't really understand why so many women who were previously calling the police about black joggers in their neighborhood are now holding up black lives matter signs. Yeah. I, I don't, don't want to, I don't even want to I can pontificate that. about that. Cause I like hate mail. Yeah. My point is, <laughs> I'm not, my, I'm not going to go there. My, your, your cheese stands alone. Doug. My, my <laughs> like, point is to say that like, we all understand, like I understand that there is like social disparate. We are an increasingly disparate society yeah. period. Like the wealth gap increases. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's a lack of services to everyone. Like, it's not like, you know, like, hey, healthcare is getting better for the wealthy. Well, yeah. it's staying the same for the wealthy, but they're spending more money on it. And we're getting way less for way more money. Should we talk about blast trauma again? Yeah. I mean, honestly. I feel like we've gotten pretty off track. It happens here. But yeah, no. So I am I am actually working on a piece about like the the because this one of the things that's been disorienting for me is as someone who studied the Confederacy for seven straight years, which again is not even that much in terms of like there are historians with decades of studying the Confederacy. It's been very jarring to all of a sudden have people start 
caring a lot more. Like you said, all of us, I've been, I've been talking to people about this for years. Like Nick will laugh really hard, but there've been so many times where I've come shaking him awake from his post shift nap to get really mad about something racist that someone wrote in the 1860s. <laughs> and I'm like, guess what this guy said? Um, history is like compelling like, and it's interesting. Like, yeah, and it's nice been, to remember that people were so assholes. Many, right. There's so many people like me out here who have been trying to write egalitarian books or who, or at least like aware books and talking about this stuff and talking about the realities of it. And now all of a sudden within the past few months, it's like a revelation for some people that they've never heard that slavery existed and was bad before. I'm not so sure that, we, that's very disorienting well, to me. And but I'm glad. I'm do we glad teach history well? That's another thing, yeah. right? Is to say, since we only require people to have a cursory view, like it's like, hey, we're going to put you in this plane and we're going to fly you over yeah. a view of what the United States has been and the world. And well, now it's also come back. How is the history taught? And I'm, I mean, I know I'm going to, be labeled a social justice warrior or something at some point. <laughs> We're going to get so much mail. Yeah. Uh, it, Four opposing my, positions. Yeah. None <laughs> of them popularly accepted right. in, <laughs> in my, one room. My real position is, again, just, just call the truth the truth, right? Yeah. Like, growing up, uh, the now truth I live down is in... very arbitrary. Okay, word. good point. I won't use the truth. Let, <laughs> let's talk about established fact. Okay. So, I moved to Wilmington, and, and I love living in Wilmington, and Wilmington's awesome. I'm amazed at how many people I've met in Wilmington who will flat out tell you, the 1898 Wilmington race massacre was not taught to them in schools even 20 years ago. Yeah. I was required to take Georgia history. Well, my, my family is, is a significant subject matter yeah. within Georgia history. But I, it didn't touch on a lot of the reality, yeah. right? Your accent got heavier when you started yes, talking about it. Yeah. yeah, it really Sorry. did. I, I was like just it. like, no, he was, he's trying like, to step off the hay mail. So, yeah. <laughs> this motherfucker had <laughs> a full Shelby because, foot. Yeah. Right? <laughs> because here's what I'll say about I, that. I didn't even hear the words. I just heard the, the accent, and I was like, oh, my turn you gosh. Yes. Yeah. No. <laughs> all I heard was a man who cracked a whip to make sure that his tobacco <laughs> was cut on time. Well, well so, no, I understand. And I, I agree, because like even with the Hunley, right, there's this one story about one of the early Hunley prototypes, the CSS Pioneer, and the fact that um, a plantation owner forced two of his slaves to get in it. And it was supposed to be like a carnival-like super fun demonstration for his invited crowd of guests that they thought this would be a fun thing to watch. Well, the slaves ended up dying. They, the thing was not well built. Was, Surprise! Yeah, it was very <laughs> unstable. That's why he didn't put white people inside it, because right. he was an asshole. Exactly, because he was but an asshole. That's what stuck with me from right. the book. I, exactly, I and so that was really important to me to put in the book, because even though there's some confusion about the story itself, which I, I clarified in the text, but like people have been actively hiding that story. And so that's like the, that's the problem is. That's the problem. Right. Stop trying to actively hide stuff that you have pretty good evidence happened. Yeah. When somebody's like, well, I'm not going to apologize for being who I am or whatever they're saying. Okay, fine. Don't. But don't apologize by hiding other things. Right. Like, uh, I don't know, the massacre that leaves people still poor in Wilmington today. Right. So like after the Civil War was over during the Reconstruction period, Jubal Early, a former Confederate officer with the United Daughters of the Confederacy, undertook an active and intentional disinformation campaign. So they're the ones that really invented the lost cause, like this mythology that it was all about states' rights, which again, they wrote it down in their articles of secession. Right, it says They were very clear, this is 
is about slavery. We've talked about the yeah, and the so aspect like aspect of an insurgency, like a second phase of the Civil War. Oh, really? During Reconstruction, like on this podcast before, we've talked about like they the were fact facebooking that, hard, like that was, yep. but they were they intentionally they left records where they were like, we are going to lie about this. Yep. So did Davis advocated for that? Oh, dude! I mean, literally, the idea. I mean, the idea of an insurgency. I mean, it's it was real. I mean, it's really weird to think that there's so many parallels across history that are easy if you read about them and easy to identify as being problematic. You know what I mean? Like I grew up like reading the great prop- propaganda book, The Power of One. Like, I don't know if you read that. Yeah. It's a great book. Um, but it's about like, you know, Rhodesia, South Africa, and a lot of the conflict like racially there. And like, it just people are people. Right. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter where you're at. Like people are going to be shitty to each other because they look different or because they're posturing towards each other and painting with broad brushstrokes and acting like, um, well, you know, because I like so and so and he feels a certain way, I'm going to feel the same way about an entire group of people like, no, man, fuck that shit. Like nobody deserves to be put like subjugated or treated poorly because of the way they look or where they were born or how their family thinks about something. All of that is to be said, if we could just accept that that's what we were doing, yeah, I think that everybody would be super, like, it would be way easier. It would improve easier. a lot. It yeah. Would a lot. And it would we be way easier to get past it. Well, we yeah. wouldn't find ourselves subject to a bombardment in Charleston doing things like inventing mini submarines <laughs> with explosive <laughs> charges on the end, where it's like, no one thought this was a good idea. Yeah, they but just it, thought it was the only in the only choice they had. Yeah, in the circumstances, yeah. it seems like. But, but we also right. have to be, as, at the same time, we have to be willing to acknowledge all everything you just said is true. We have to desire to get past it. My problem is where people stop with, well, that's just how they are. Oh, no, dude, that's how you are. It's not, yeah. like, it's not how everybody is, yeah. so to be fair. But, but be that as Even the people who are the, most, the loudest advocates of tearing it down are, like, peop- like the loudest advocates of progress at this point are equally guilty of the same, like, personal shortcoming yeah, <laughs> of to, a lack of perspective. Sure. Yeah. And to say, like, hey, you know what? You're pigeonholing. Like, while we're into this, like, I firmly believe that, like, when you have privilege, it's hard to identify that you have privilege. Mm-hmm. I get it. But also, like, reactionaryism and going 100% the other direction Agreed. is, like, going to cause equal problems. It's literally the, the you know, Pashtun you know, Hazara gap. In yeah, I mean, it's Rachel's like, earlier point about, you know, screaming racist at your racist Uncle Dave. It's not going to change his mind. It's not going to change him. I do have a racist Uncle but Dave. But introducing... Sorry, call that <laughs> no, out. That's cool. Guess what? Introducing <laughs> racist Uncle Dave to, a, you know... Like He's not that racist. A broader He's more spectrum. comical. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just have a crazy Uncle Dave. Racism, he just says stuff sometimes. Racism light. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I mean, like... No, I, the first time, I was raised in a super homogenous yeah, place with one with one black friend, and we made yeah. fun of him. We thought it was funny, and we didn't know any better. And like I tell people all the time, like I told Danny Dreyer, I'm like, dude, I say I have said stuff in my past. I'm not exactly proud of. We talked about it, you know, on the podcast. And I'm like, that being said, um, guess what? I'm a citizen of the world now. I've traveled a ton with a bunch of people, and I try not to pigeonhole people. I also recognize it's easy to be pigeonholed when you were raised a certain way, like. Guess yeah. what? I'm a fucking Peckerwood white dude from freaking West Texas. I was raised that way. With a beard. Yep. But I own it now. And yeah. I'm like, hey, by the way, I'm going to warn you guys ahead of time. 
I'm probably going to say insensitive things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't mean it in a bad way. That's if, again. If, if you're offended, please let me know. From and my I will, ha- I will tell you to stop. As if there are other people around, stop, I mean. it's inherently less threatening because I know you're joking. So you're a type one or a type two. <laughs> yeah. You're a type one. So but you're not, like, I'm, it's, it's cool. It's, you're not physically grabbing me. But it's not so. even joking, right? It's like a lot of us have a, a lot of us have the wrong impression, period. We yeah. think we're right. Yeah. We will write a 4,000 page diary about what we think is right with no perspective and no sounding board and no other people to tell us how wrong we are. We continue to think that we're right. One of the things that I think is interesting about being a female in such an overwhelmingly male dominated field is that dudes sometimes even like really open-minded equal egalitarian ones can express a lot of surprise when I exhibit basic capabilities. Oh, you're smart. No, like I... <laughs> <laughs> you can tie your shoes? Yeah, the, I mean, I, I still remember. So when I was out in Catalina, it was lobster season, right? So first day of lobster season, you grab your wetsuit, you go out, you go lobster diving, you get your light. And there were a bunch of um, rescue swimmers, like LA Coast Guard rescue swimmers out there on the island to learn about like the chamber and what it did. So we all go lobster diving, just free diving. And one of them at one point stopped and he, I was like, just taking a break, sitting on a rock, catching my breath for a little while. And he was like, wow, I'm really impressed. You're not scared of the dark. I was like, I'm an adult human and you're impressed. I'm not scared of the dark where I live right now. Like, to be perfectly fair, so that, I'm genuinely surprised I mean, how many people are afraid of the dark as adult stuff, humans. And he, he's like, he's like, a lot of girls are afraid of the dark. I'm like, that might be true, but they're being ridiculous. Like, so I get a those. Lot of, a lot of men are afraid of the dark too. But they do it less and likely bats to admit it, I think. And but anyway, dentists. no, so I get those comments all the time where it's like, oh my gosh, you could carry that? I'm like, I'm a six foot rock climber, man. Like, there might, you know, I'm also female. 170 pounds of cake. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I got to earn that cake somehow. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of implicit, and I'm never really like get offended. Sometimes I'll publicly embarrass someone for something like that. <laughs> Be like, seriously, dude. But um, that that is one of the more common ways that I think people show their implicit biases and thankfully for me i don't i don't really give a damn what anyone else thinks or expects from me so and luckily i am in a position where in my career and life i'm secure enough that i have that ability and i don't need to prove myself anymore i've got that doctorate like i'm good but there are places where people who are younger or if it's race tends to manifest itself a little bit differently than gender then that can be really bad i think it's interesting that when you Except that you don't care. Yeah, I don't care. Then there's a lot of learning that can be done right there. Yeah. Right? It's like, hey, uh, P.S., like, I'm going to say things. I don't mean them. Like, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm me. I don't care. Um, I'm just going to do what I like doing. P.S., I am open to hearing what it is that upsets you, but also based on my life experience and what's led me here, I'm going to say, Oh man, I had a similar thing happen to me. Like I understand, I think we all understand what bias looks like. Mm-hmm. I mean, except me, I have big dick, white privilege, whatever it is. You know what I mean? But like, you still got the body odor thing. Yes, for sure. <laughs> I, don't actually, I, I have no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> I set myself, I wore deodorant. It's a podcast, Doug, prove me wrong. Yeah, that's true. It's, 
coming soon to Softweed Podcast, yeah. Olifactory AIDS. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, every dude listening to this podcast just was like, uh, let me sniff <laughs> under my shirt. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like, seriously, there's always bias. Like, you, yeah. people, you offend people, you talk too much, you have too much of an opinion about one thing or another, or, like, you're, you show up for the job interview wearing a tuxedo T-shirt, <laughs> whatever the deal is. Um, As we all do. Yeah. Like, well, it's, it, it's actually, so think about it. It's an evolutionary mechanism, if you'll allow me to nerd it to you again. But it's an evolutionary mechanism. So if we're in the wild and we don't have a lot of information, we fill in the rest of information based on what we do know. So if what we know is coming from via source, if it's coming from media and misrepresentations that we've seen and been inundated with our whole lives, we've evolved to take that misinformation and use it to fill in the blanks of what we don't know yet. Because like that's... In an in a wilderness or survival type of situation, a lot of times that can be advantageous. To How us. long had um, the the Charleston whatever the preser- uh, the preservation of the Hunley Fund? Mm-hmm. How long was their original grant to find out what had happened to the Hunley? Ooh, I would have to fact check that. It was on the order of like three to five years. Okay, and that was in 1995. That was in 2000. Well, they raised it in 2000. Okay. To be fair, it can get started before okay. it's out of the ocean. So, so, so. 2000 was, yeah. so we're now 2020. So the original estimates were uh, roughly three to five years. Again, I would have to fact check that exactly, but it was a, it was in that range, and they were originally looking at something like 10 to $13 million dollars. And uh, yeah, we're way past both Gen- of those numbers. Generally speaking, you started doing research in the Hunley when? 2014. 2014. Yeah. All right. And you've spent how much money on model submarines and black powder? $4,000. There you go. And you discovered. And treble. Yeah. Total. In total. In total. $4,000. So a girl Spoken from like Detroit. A good government civilian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a girl from Detroit with uh, presuppositions about. Yeah. The lost cause, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. With my tiny little girl arms. Biases. They are not tiny little girl <laughs> yeah, arms. Yeah. I am. I believe that you're more jacked than Nick. Sorry, no, Nick. Probably. That's not true. <laughs> no, it is accurate. When we first started dating, though, and he was like messing around wrestling with me. He is that got, what you call it? He got. No, this is. <laughs> look, Thanks, Worth. Look, Worth. Uh, if it was sex stuff, I would just be honest about that. <laughs> no, <laughs> he was just messing with me, and he got surprised. Yeah. Oh, so. damn! I got I got whooped. Yeah. Female thighs, dude. You gotta well, steer clear. Well, she's also like. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> We're not gonna go. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. I silenced him. Where's his view button? <laughs> anyway. What were you so saying? I was just saying, <laughs> no, cancel culture at work. Thank you very much. Look, I just, I grew up with brothers. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> you're, <laughs> you're talking about presuppositions yeah. and like a bunch of like, I think at the core, like we've been touching on the social stuff because it's relevant because all of us are affected by it right now between COVID and like mm. people being upset to the point where like, hey, you think COVID's real because you're a lung person. Yeah. I don't think and it's real because I grew up in a provincial place where I was educated to believe the disease was something that affected other people. Also, <laughs> I've already had three people very close to me who had it. You did so, they live? Yes. Okay, there you go. Yeah, but it was, Proof pr- positive. It was pretty rough. To none well, no, that's, <laughs> see, again, this is an evolutionary thing is people... When they're... People tend... People are terrible assessors of risk. Like, okay... Let's go around. Don't overthink this question. Someone's a chain smoker, smokes multiple packs a day, been doing it for years and years, for decades. What are the odds they die of lung cancer? Zero percent. 
<laughs> okay, uh, non-sarcastic w- responses. Zero no, percent. No, z- 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 like people that are chain smokers rarely die of lung lung cancer. They Statistically not true. <laughs> Where? Uh, well, I was say, my uncle Uncle Jim always referred to his uh, his cigarettes as his. Emphysema plan. Yeah. <laughs> emphysema doesn't count. <laughs> Fine. No one's going to play long. He's one of my favorite cynics. No, no, I, I, really I don't know. Like a yeah. bazillion percent? I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I'm Mr. Anti smoking. No, that's like the point of the question, right? I've, I've literally known no one in my life who's ever died from lung cancer. I've enjoyed cigarettes occasionally while deploying to Africa and the Middle East. And Occasional I, use is not necessarily... A risk factor. Yeah, but I should like start a, a pack yeah. a day for for you know six months at We're a time. About, so like heavy smokers, it typically brings you up to a six percent risk of lung cancer. Oh. fatality, which is that's not very much at all. Right, exactly. That's a it's, lot lower than I would have expected. Right, that's exactly the point. Is human beings are terrible. You're still way more likely to die from a car crash. Oh, because you think everything's dangerous. Right, they yeah, yeah, they yeah. overestimate danger. Um, it's a survival mechanism. It's a survival mechanism because we want to be able to avoid that. But also, in the case of something like COVID, you get people who can't see it. They're like, I can't see it, therefore it doesn't exist. So people have polarized. But in that's these how two I mitigate camps. the fear. Yeah, but if you just like put on your damn mask, you know, then I don't have from a, mask. a respiratory. I know I'm gonna super glue one into your beard later, though. So that'll be fun. <laughs> My beard, the, beard the beard is, is the mask. Is the, mask. <laughs> the beard. Yeah. Just let that mustache grow how down. How am I supposed? To, how am I supposed to eat? I don't know. We'll figure it out later. Yeah, like at the beginning, we didn't know very much about the disease. We had very little information, and so people locked down until we figured it out epidemiologically and how this thing was spreading. But now we know that it's being spread through these respiratory particles that people exhale, which is a very well-known transmission mechanism. So, like, if people put on their masks, we can go do fun stuff a lot more often and more safely and sooner. Anyway, that's my yeah, but I that's mean, my soapbox. I, I the, hate wearing a mask. I hate pants. The point yeah, is right. that it's, it's an echo <laughs> chamber. It. Yeah, exactly. But, you know, I wear it to tie all of these issues together, all of this, whatever social ill you're talking about or physical ill. You should yeah. be informed. Like one, And informed, you shouldn't but, be informed but, by your Uncle Dave's post about the issue. If Doug posts about how he feels, it's worth fact-checking my post. I totally agree. <laughs> like, on that I'm point, very angry what I'm really that. saying is this, like my guiding principles in life, I only have a couple. One of which is don't make your problem my problem and yeah. I won't make my problem your problem. Two, don't be an asshole. Isn't, yeah. this, and isn't this not, essentially the golden rule? Yeah, just, exactly. Just, it's, it's, this is the adult the version it's of the golden rule. It's not hard to wear a mask. I don't like it, but I do it because it makes people comfortable. And my mother was adamant about raising me not to make people uncomfortable. There you go. Likewise, Good job, we're I try to be nice to all of my fellow citizens. He's even nice to yeah. me. And it, I haven't done nothing to earn You're it. like, I did not earn it. Nope. I mean, and... Uh, you know, in the instant case, I always talk about like in, in the late 90s when the Confederate flag was coming in on the Georgia flag. Yeah. Where are we going to take it down? Where are we not going to take it down? Yeah. And I grew up, it was probably, you know, it was a, I, I grew up the way I grew up. And can we come back and talk about how that was all a big trick when you're done? Well, what I'll talk I about is this. I realized it's I looked up trick. in 1998 at 26 years old. Shamefully, it took me that long to go, wait a minute. This is deeply offensive to like 30 or 40% of the population of this yeah. state. And there's all these heritage, not hate guys standing over here crowing about the four to five years that something happened when they weren't alive. And then there's these people who are still living with the emanations of it today. Right. Uh, for me, it's just like politeness to be like, yeah, okay, sure. I don't need that on the flag. Right. Why don't we just take that down and if not you, hurt your feelings anymore? If you need a statue less. to remember history, then you are not reading enough. Yeah. So, but um, it all comes down to just don't be an asshole. I also think no, that the, if the we, Georgia flag was a big trick. Um, I, I do want to hear this. I just want to say your statue comment is a 
dig. I believe <laughs> that the reason that we don't appreciate statues mm-hmm. in our culture as now is because no one gets art history. Mm. And that to me, it is not the statement of the statue in itself. It is the art. And it's not necessarily, it's, this is not geared towards the Confederate statues, which I do believe were put up as a ploy to fuck with people in the 50s. Oh, no. And but, immediately following Plessy versus Ferguson. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm so with you. So late 1800s, yep. Plessy versus Ferguson legalized segregation. Immediately, the United Daughters of the Confederacy put up statues. Yep. So, like, the statue, the big plaque to the Hunley crew members that's at the entrance to the main park of Charleston. Um, They're all fuck yous. Yeah, Fair it enough. was basically an entry plaque saying black people not welcome. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can accept that. I... I also say, like, because art history is a thing that I was taught, like, at a very young age, mm-hmm. I think that, like, there is some level, I, I don't know, I the demigoggery, like, I don't know, maybe we could leave the statues, but cut their noses off. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> just to signify that we disapprove of what they did, That's but the statues still exist, right? <laughs> like, I feel like that sends a stronger message because the general art, like, I think that Michelangelo doing a statue of David, like if I was an atheist, would really bother me that this oh. like Judeo-Christian tale of a man with a small penis who killed a giant. Mm, well, I am an atheist <laughs> and I'm obsessed with Michelangelo. So. Yeah, Michelangelo's great. Yeah. It's, but Michelangelo's the artist. Yeah. And David. No, like the David is great. But, all, David but is, all of his stuff is religiously centered because like that was who was sponsoring artwork at that time. And that's all they knew. They're yeah. Exactly. The patrons were in favor but of that. But that was also back to your point about literacy. Like people weren't able to read the Bible. So that's where we get seeing glass windows from, right? It's yep. like those are supposed to be the stories for people when they come into the churches. Yep. So. But the whole reason you come in is so that we can put more social controls on you, so you pay more taxes to the church, so the church can afford more stained glass windows. I'm going to let you stand alone with that one again. I'm just going to stand with my points of I really like Michelangelo's And they use that money to have (laughs) sex with children. (laughs) uh, That was Doug's voice. Um, (laughs) Just for clarification. (laughs) Through that bomb. I think that God knows who said that, and he will not be (laughs) mad at me for stating the obvious truth in this. Okay. Thank you from whatever. God doesn't care about money going to religion. If I believe anything from the Bible, it's that we flip over the tax collector's tables in the temple. As a semi-Asperger's scientist, I don't really like to start sentences with I think or I feel because I don't think that feelings are relevant to most scenarios. I mean, that's true, but I have no factual evidence to back back up my opinions. (laughs) 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 Don't you see that's exactly what the field of science is and why it draws in so many weirdos such as myself? We're like, oh, well, human facial expressions confound me at every turn, (laughs) but this graph, this graph I feel close to. (laughs) I have uh, positioned the graph in a way that that makes you feel the way I feel about this issue. This squiggly line is my soulmate. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know what side of the brain that represents, but I'm all the way over on the other side of it. Yeah. So I know that, that side w- of the brain thing is <laughs> not founded in science. Is it not for real? <laughs> no, I want to hear really about the thing. I'm sorry. What is the Georgia Jeez. flag trick? The Georgia flag was a trick. Okay. So Georgia flag prior to the protests in late nineties was featuring the Confederate battle flag, right. which is the one that everyone thinks of as the Confederate flag, right? It's yep. the crosses, yep. the cross image with the stars, stars and bars. So anyway, well, okay. Anyway, um, so that one was actually invented because the original Confederate flag 
was determined to be too difficult to differentiate between the, the American, flag American flag when there wasn't a yep. wind, right? Because it still had like yep. stars. So what they did was they made the flag that we now think of as a Confederate flag and they use that in battle. Well, the original Confederate flag is basically the Georgia state flag. So they just put like that little yellow thing in the middle of the, the ring of stars. arches at the university. Right. They threw the arches in there. So they said they were taking down the Confederate flag from their flag and changing it. And then they changed changed it to be literally the actual Confederate flag. Which I literally only learned this past weekend. I really? I didn't yeah. know. So was it was all flag. a trick. Oh, this is the original Battle Center of the Confederacy. I did not know that this was the flag. I Literally, I, would, I could have told you this if I had seen it. I had no idea that the this first, was... The first time I saw someone from Georgia speaking in front of the state flag, I was like, why are they talking in front of the Confederate flag? Yeah, no, I yeah. literally, I have no idea. How did this pass... The sniff test with anyone. Because people don't know enough about the history they proclaim to love. That's a great line. And I mean, and, and well, I, I mean, the people probably who exemplify that because I well, would tell you, I studied the Civil War growing up. It's impossible to know everything. You made your and best effort. So, I like, just but yeah, didn't know that. it's impossible to know everything. And I don't, I would be interested to track back in, in Georgia politics to look at, because there was an interim flag. There was a blue flag that it also had, had the arches on it. There's no way they came up with that flag design accidentally. It seems pointed. Yeah. The, ba and the, the implementation of the battle flag was certainly pointed. Yes. Ta-da! Yeah. So Doug is now holding up his phone, which yeah. does not come across as a podcast, but he's showing the image of the actual Confederate flag. Which is literally the state flag of Georgia. Which is literally the state flag of Georgia, minus the little yellow archy thing. How many stars are... In Probably 13. either. Yeah, it's usually 13. So it's 11 states that seceded plus two additional territories. And so that's why they usually go 13. It's not the 13 colonies. Um, but it does coincide with the same number. Yep, 13 uh, stars. Yeah, I would be fascinated yeah. to know the legislative there, history. There are 13 stars on the current Georgia flag as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's literally, it is literally the it's same flag. It's literally the same flag with a little yellow RT squiggle. My goodness. I would never have known this. I have... Again, ladies and gentlemen, Ra Rachel wins. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Uh, even more fun fact is um, recently the protests within the last few years, actually, by recently, um, over Silent Sam, which was the Confederate monument yeah. on the UNC Chapel yep. Hill campus yep. that got torn down by protesters. One of the police officers who was guarding it was photographed, and then he kind of went viral in a bad way because he had a tattoo that's associated with an alt-right neo-Nazi group. Three percenters? Or... Yeah, I think it was a three percenters, but he he got that tattoo with the wrong number of stars. No, oh, so like it's supposed to be thirteen stars for the thirteen secession of states and territories, and he apparently didn't know the symbolism of that, and so his well, see, tattoo I the 3 has twelve. Thing went back to the revolution. Uh, That's what they claim. A three percenters just saying that it's a three percent of people that were willing to spill blood right. over. Attacks that is unjust. I mean, I'm not defending yeah. them by I think any it goes back to the revolution. Yeah. Well. I think that's what they claim. And it's the 13 original colonies. The, it's. I mean, it's the same number, so you can argue. But either way, he had 12 stars. So, so what I've now learned today is that number. Rachel really is part of cancel culture, and the number 13 is out. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it is canceled. <laughs> what, what part of America do you hate the most? Is oh, really my question for you. All of it. No, just Ale the I love America. Ale Alexandria, Louisiana. Was that the question you were asking? Which part specifically? Worth, <laughs> worth, I love America. My least favorite part is when people mistake freedom for the ability to be irresponsible. 
Boom. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's be real. The ability to be irresponsible is freedom. Technically, yes, but you're also a jerk. Yeah, well, <laughs> you should be uh, you should be able to be as irresponsible as you want without infringing on other people's rights. I'm a really big fan. I'm a really That's big great. fan of legal freedoms, but voluntary social social behavior anyway. Goes back to don't Can, be an asshole. Yeah, My thing is I believe be you should be able to do just about anything you want to and have the good taste not to. Exactly. That's why we should uh, eliminate all laws. There's an idea. I think, that's, I think that's literally what we're advocating for right now, right? What's that no. movie? The the I think they're just where they kill everybody hey guys, one just time a year. The, or purge. Oh, the, the purge. purge, which is yeah. the dumbest I haven't premise. Seen it. Everybody should just be kind premise. to each other, guys. Like it'll be fine. Everything's going to work out. I kind of agree with that. I realize it's not a realistic proposition, yeah. but I do think just be I, cool. I recognize that not all elements of humanity will participate, but that would be the idea. There's a few old soreheads who are gifted with more muscles and will. That will force your hand to not let, yeah, you that's be, true. let you be cool. That's true. Hey, man, just be cool. No, I'm always cool. No, you seem to be generally cool. No, I'm I really don't know not. if always cool is the right answer. I'm, no, I'm never cool. <laughs> I'm never cool. <laughs> I'm, never I'm cool. going to note that Rachel has given us at least two fantastic wrap it up taglines that we've just blown right past. That's cool. Oh, <laughs> no. Dude, we've, been the only, here, okay. we've been talking so for two the only and a half thing hours. Is I like. 2.15 is a hard deadline. Well, we're done. I mean, literally, but, we're, we're okay. wrapping it up. Like, literally, I can if you also haven't do listened, it, like, from here. If you that's haven't fine, listened, but. To, I mean, if you, haven't, if you haven't listened to anything today, <laughs> you should pick up a copy of In the Waves by Rachel Lance. Uh, it is a very engaging book in which she addresses a whole bunch of issues that aren't just about the Hunley in a very tasteful and delicate way. Thank you. While slaying sacred cows of, <laughs> of a historical society <laughs> that has. Uh, apparently burned her in effigy. And also, once. like, um, using my weight as a metric and wow, being honest sure. about that. And I did love uh, that line. Thank you. Do I you was weigh as much as a duck? Because I, I feel do, like I if you float, <laughs> then you're a witch. A <laughs> I do not. Yeah. I'm not very floaty. Um, so. Jimmy's yeah, will be so rustled. Rachel has, uh, we will have you back on to talk about some more, like, the kind of. Yes. The. I guess physiological aspects of blast pressure on the human body. Yeah. So we've covered a lot of what really happens with the rest of the body. Mine from the neck down. We've really talked about what happens to the body. TBI is like a whole, it's its whole own monster. And so that, that I think, Unless we want a four-hour podcast episode, we considering that separately. we don't know a lot of doctors from yeah. Duke. I know that you're going to say you're not a real doctor, but you're a PhD Fake holder. Doctor. So I like to call you a doctor because it sounds fancy. It's funny, and because I look better reflected in yeah. that light. <laughs> Guys, we had a we had a doctor from Duke on the podcast yeah. today. The yeah. MDs at work because I work out of the hospital. The MDs at Duke insist on calling me doctor, and I'm like, you realize this is very confusing to people. <laughs> like, just call me Rachel. Just go with it. They're like, no, just start like, handing out meds. <laughs> Dr. Lance is going to help everybody get their patty certification yeah. during our downtime. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah, seriously, uh, I love that you came in twice and that you brought beer and then cake. Yeah. yeah uh, well, I was a really big fan of both. They say beware of and Doug uh, made fun of Greeks my body bearing type. gifts. Yeah. <laughs> he fat shamed me. Oh, I just took the best picture of Worth. It's going to be... It's, it's no, gonna, I made fun of the picture. Yeah, it's... He fat shamed Yeah, me. I was going to say, Doug yeah. fat shamed oh, me. Oh, well, without you, I was like, I would never fat shame Stay someone. Stay tuned. <laughs> I now am it here to say... It was not the best picture of you. This picture of Worth will be the tag photo for this <laughs> podcast promotion. Like, <laughs> literally. You know, Rachel Lance comes in and feeds Worth yeah. cake. Uh, technically, it is a double chocolate Boston cream pie parfait with pistachio d'aqua. See? D'aqua. D'aqua. Yeah. 
I haven't I haven't been able to cook for coworkers. You know how I know so. that you're a doctor? You can pronounce French appropriately. That's actually from watching a lot of Food Channel. I believe a Parisian <laughs> listening to this podcast will send British angry baking mail show. And, that's the one I watch. All she I pronounced know, the wrong. Yeah, all I know from French is food words and early 1900s medical terminology. Mm. But if you need to say like gangrene of the left thigh, I'm your girl. I can say hamon et fromage. <laughs> there yes. you go. You it's got important. Food, you got <laughs> yeah. food words down. Yeah. 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 As you might imagine. There you go. fat shamed me. Je, yeah. <laughs> je veux hamon et fromage. Yes. Well, look, Worth has been to Africa. <laughs> and he ate there, apparently. Yeah, a, p- a place where they don't shit on you for having terrible pronunciation. Yeah. But that's okay. all right. When you talk, when you work with like uh, the French, you know, SAS dudes or whatever, like the special forces guys, they're super understanding of bad pronunciation. That's they're like, great. It's not yeah. like they're that great at English either if they want to fight. I mean, they're not going to win that fight. I'll tell you that. That's exactly right. They're going to try, but they're going to fail. And then they're going to offer you a glass of sangria (laughs) and to sit around with all their friends and watch pornography. Isn't sangria? (laughs) This doesn't sound like a true story at all. (laughs) (laughs) Super weird. Super weird. Uh, You're a friend. Come hang out with us. Uh, Sangria. What? Uh, Are you guys watching porn on the... TV? Oh, yes. Why would we not do that? I mean, there's like yes. 17 dudes in here. I don't know if it's any weirder than me sitting holding Aren't hands you a fan of that man, Matthew McConaughey? Television. For sure, I am. For literal hours. <laughs> but I like to watch him with his clothes on and envision what he looks like with them off. All right? Uh, Thanks, Nick. Way to ruin it. It's all yeah. about the fantasy. Yeah. It is not gay. <laughs> I'm just infatuated with his abilities as a man. <laughs> just to fluid, act. man. Yeah, fluid. you know what? Some people are just sexy, Doug. That's fine. Matthew McConaughey like, is. Like, I get that. I've never wanted to buy a Lincoln more in my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would appreciate it more if instead of hate mail, we would just get people voting for either Matthew McConaughey or Tom Hardy. Actually, we can set that up. Ooh. Yeah. That's oh. what Twitter is for. We can, right? actually, we can make this that happen. That in political rants in very short format. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I appreciate you coming in, and we will make a plug for the book, which is. You guys, you have, you have a website, don't you? I do. Okay, so the book title is In the Waves, My Quest to Solve the Mystery of a Civil War Submarine. It's got a fancy-looking blue color. It does. Pretty excited about it. Um, didn't didn't do anything to contribute to that. Uh, that was all the publisher. My website is rachellancewrites.com. There is a contact form that I actually receive. So if you have questions about blast trauma, uh, I do answer those questions myself. And please do not send any of the hate mail meant for Doug. It will not get to him. Uh, people <laughs> people like to offer yeah. to skin me alive and then salve my bloody body with vinegar mm. fairly routinely. Mm-hmm. You've gotten mm-hmm. some of that. Um, I mean, yeah, but that's just normal interneting while female. Like, oh. <laughs> man, we are diving into another podcast. Right you, now. <laughs> I mean, literally, like my hate mail is just hilarious. Like I've gotten emails where they call me both fat and skinny in the same sentence. Um, I've gotten once from one guy claimed to be a sniper, but he spelled the word sniper wrong. Was he a Navy SEAL sniper with 2000 <laughs> kills or whatever that thing is? He was a snipper. So. <laughs> He's vicious with scissors. He's a yeah. doctor doing Those, vasectomies. Yeah, he, he, can, that, he like, can really undercut you with coupons. Right. I mean, like <laughs> <laughs> that was a double dad joke. I want you to know that was and really good. These are the kind that of things really that happen good. when you turn thirty nine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm clearly crowding fifty because I really enjoyed that one. That was really <laughs> that good. That was pretty good. Um, yeah. No, my hate mail is more just like along the general lines of what people send to to women who speak out of turn. Sweet. I don't really care. I'm compiling it into a spreadsheet that will. eventually 
eventually be an academic paper. It's gonna be I really would fun. like to go Don't on Don't be part of my spreadsheet. At least you get some hate mail. During, <laughs> during this podcast. I have an email yeah. associated with my website. I get very little in the way of email. So Aww. if anybody wants to send me some email, yeah, some hate mail, go to my website. Yes. What's your website? Why don't you Russellworthparker.com. There you go. When you have yeah. a fancy name like that, Worth no one's stolen also your domain fantastic. before. Yeah. And now you need there to get- is a rachellance.com. That is not me. It is an ambiguous lifestyle blogger. Also, Just Rachel, say Rachel it's not, Lance not writes, connected to me. Rachel Lance writes is W R I T E S yes. as opposed to R I G H T S. Not legal rights because that is um, it, it's either illegal or also a pro NRA site. We're not sure which. Yeah, that's true. Um, yes. I don't know. I haven't tried that one. So quit reckless eyeballing me over there. <laughs> with I just really have to go Just keep looking down. I don't believe you've been subservient enough during this podcast. You've had too many thoughts and opinions. I already baked for you. I know. It's weird. I'm, I'm going to go destroy that. So dis- I'm going to go and eat a piece of cake as People well. have no idea what to do when I show up to like a testing site with Baked goods. Don't worry. People have no idea what to do after they've just listened to two hours and 40 minutes of us (laughs) rambling on about (laughs) social issues and submarines. You might want to cut some of this out. (laughs) Nope. No No. editing. Cutting out. No editing. Oh, damn. We've had one podcast that hasn't gone to air in which Aaron confessed to committing a hate crime, and the collective office was like, we should not allow this to be. Uh, to see the light of day. Ooh. Yes, we, they, we have gotten more email responses begging us to air it yeah, than any <laughs> amount of hate mail that I've had for defending dog fighting or anything wow. like that. Yep. Wow. And that being said, if it's that bad, you know that if Doug said, man, we probably shouldn't, we probably should not air that. Aaron. Yeah. And he's like, I don't know why. And he defends it. <laughs> and everybody else in the office is like, no, 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 no. Like, I, he's like, well, I had everybody else listen to it. And I'm like, and what did they say? Well, they said we shouldn't hear it. And I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah. Well, now I want to know. See, that's, yeah. Everyone does. The book has state secrets in it. <laughs> See, there you go. Buy, the, buy Rachel's book. The White House tried to stop its release. <laughs> Say there you go. It, harder yeah. than they tried to stop Bolton's book. So much harder. Yeah. They were like Rachel See? Lance knows all the good stuff. Yeah, and Aaron is the John Bolton of software. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all, all right. Until right. uh, <laughs> next time, when we talk about meaningful things like brain injury and women's rights. No more women's rights. Yep. You uh, guys asked. No you more. Asked. No more women's for rights. Are you advocating for the dissolution of women's rights? <laughs> I thought we were having <laughs> bold stuff. I thought we were Rachel Lance, up, but Rachel twenty twenty Phyllis Schlafly. Did you say Phyllis Schlafly? Yeah. Oh my God. Game on. I would like to thank my husband for letting me come to this podcast today. I'm glad that you brought him on to mind you and yeah. make sure that you didn't speak out of turn. Nick is laughing because that's hilarious. Yeah, I We're feel like go. you would get hurt. Yeah. We're going to go beat Nick with a stick in the parking lot yeah. and uh, we'll all go about our lives. So. Okay. Auf Wiedersehen. Bye.